is Radio Orbit. You're listening to it on KOPN Columbia. My name is Mike Hagan. I'll be back with you in just a minute. Good evening, or good morning to you, good day to you, wherever you might be as you're listening to this radio program. This is Radio Orbit. My name is Mike Hagan. You're listening to it live on KOPN Columbia, 89.5 FM. And uh, here it is, the 8th of May, 2006. And I'm excited about the show tonight. We have Marco Roden. He's going to be with us in about 56 minutes. Well, 54, plus or minus. And uh, before that, uh, let's take care of some business here, okay? Thanks to Debbie Johnson. First of all, another wonderful episode of Free Range Radio Theater. If you got a chance to listen to it, good for you. If you missed it, join Debbie every Monday at 10 o'clock, just an hour before this program, and always doing wonderful stuff on Free Range Radio Theater. You can also check her out on the web at the same address, okay? A big thank you to Dennis and Richard, Dr. Dennis McKenna, Richard Glenn Boyer, an amazing show last week, important stuff for sure, these guys doing really, really important work and uh, generating good talk among listeners and uh, other people who have contacted me over the last week or so, and that's a good thing, I think. Uh, Also, people chatting about it over at the forum right now on the website. Uh, But anyway, fantastic guests and a great program. And if you missed it, it's on the web uh, at www.mikehagan.com. You can uh, jump on there and access any of the old programs that are available free of anything on the web in the archives for you and your loved ones. All right. Thanks also to Andre and the rest of the gang from uh, ISM, Killer Rock and Roll provided for the show last week by ISM. And I might play one more by them tonight, as a matter of fact, actually. Anyway, so uh, they're on the web as well. Go to my music page, www.mikehagan.com. Just click on the music link, and you can get uh, information and downloads and website links and all that stuff to all of the uh, musicians who have been featured and presented on Radio Orbit. Okay? All right, tonight, it is the 8th of May. As I said, Marco Roden... And uh, sort of, yeah, me at a loss for words. But Marco Roden, nothing less than a mathematical genius, I guess. So the challenge tonight is going to be to deliver the information in a fashion that can be understood by regular people like you and me. And uh, it is a fascinating story with profound implications for all of us, for the entire planet. If these ideas... Uh, that Marco is bringing forward can be applied uh, to real-world situations, real-world problems, real-world challenges. Um, it uh, it could really it could really be 
uh, an important step. So anyway, that's coming up. Amazing stuff. Marco Roden, we spoke earlier today, and I'm really excited to share his work with you. As I said, uh, the challenge will be in making it clear uh, because uh, it's... Um, it's just difficult uh, in some ways to, um, especially over radio, because there's some visual stuff involved in it as well. So with that in mind, uh, I suggest you hop on the web and go to my website at MikeHagan.com or just jump directly over to Marco's website at RodinMath, R-O-D-I-N-M-A-T-H.com, RodinMath.com. He has another website, which I'll mention, uh, just sort of a mirror website, RodinAerodynamics.org. Um, at any rate, rodenmath.com is a great place to start. You've got an hour or so, 50 minutes to sort of snoop around over there to get a feel for what we're going to be talking about. But again, uh, the guy's an absolute genius and uh, being endorsed by other geniuses, by the way. Uh, and it's just a matter of uh, concretizing this stuff and bringing it into the real world. And that's what I hope we can try to help out with tonight, to try to bring this stuff into a... Um, an area where uh, where people like us, regular people, can understand uh, the implications and how we can help bring this stuff about. Okay. All right. So uh, great music lined up. I'm not sure what tonight, but a bunch of different stuff that we've sampled over the last few months. Uh, we started out with the Alchemist just a couple of minutes ago. That's from the Wimshurst Machine, independent international music from Torino, Italy. No less. Thanks to Augusto and the band. They may be listening right now, but it's quite early in the morning, as a matter of fact. But uh, also, Augusto, thanks for the email yesterday. I appreciate it. It's always cool to get stuff from, from overseas. So wonderful music. And again, on the music page, uh, just go check out the Wimshurst Machine. Absolutely outrageous, cool, and talented music uh, coming from Italy. And uh, without strings attached to it, if you know what I mean. All right, thanks for the nice emails. Hello to everybody else listening over the web, live or otherwise. As uh, we were last week, we are streaming live tonight, right now, and every week via Cosmic Waves Radio. Hop on the web, www.cosmicwavesradio. And uh, we're on channel 2 right now. And you'll see it says KOPN 89.5 FM and Radio Orbit. So um, you can also link directly there from my site as well. Obviously, okay? All right, so hop on over there, and uh, you can also jump back and forth between our site. Larry's been doing wonderful stuff, as always. There is um, plenty going on over at the forum, and there's a live chat page that is... Uh, actually, I should jump over there, but uh, there should be a live chat that's going on right now. Anybody who's listening over the web can get on the chat uh, page there, and we can sort of correspond as the program proceeds tonight. And uh, that's really cool. I love the fact that I can just sort of jump on there and see what uh, uh, what's on your minds and find out what uh, the people who are listening are thinking about. So anyway, as I speak to you, I will do that right now. And I'm on my front page at MikeHagan.com. And if you just page down a little bit under the little bitty graphic that says Marco Roden, you'll see a little link that says Chat Room. That's where you want to go. All right. Okay, so uh, let's see. What else? What else? What else? Um, music. Art. Send it to us. We love it. We've been getting some amazing stuff, and I can't wait to bring some more of this uh, uh, music and art that we've been getting 
uh, thanks to you all. And I've got some great stuff musically coming up over the next couple of weeks. We're going to have live music in two weeks in the studio with Rian Eisler. I'll have Michael Kane in in the studio actually playing music to accompany the discussion we're going to have with Rian Eisler. And that's going to be another uh, really, really fascinating and important talk, I think. So that's coming up. We've got... Uh, well, I'll talk a little bit about some guests in just a minute here. But anyway, hop on the web. And um, as I said, we're trying to build a mailing list. And if you'll go to the, rep, uh, to the website and register, which is free, of course, and uh, private, and not a lot of information being requested or required. It's just so I can get a valid email address for you so I can correspond with people who are listening to the show. And if you do that, there are a couple of freebies that you can grab for yourself. Um, Jeff and William, my friends from Yachai, wonderful musical group, have made their entire CD, Sweet Mother Mercy, available for download. In addition, uh, Larry's got some cool screensavers and stuff like that up available. So anyway, if you go and register at the new site, uh, I'd appreciate it, and it'll put us in touch, which is what we want to be. All right, so get over there and let me know who you are. And, of course, thanks to those of you who have already, uh, who have already done so. All right? all right, contact information, the email address, orbitradio, O-R-B-I-T-R-A-D-I-O, at AOL.com. Orbitradio at AOL.com. All right? And uh, let's see, what else do we want to talk about here? Um... I'm looking over my notes here, and I'm just thinking, uh, well, let's do upcoming guests real fast, all right? Tonight, Marco Roden, as I said, go check out his website. It's rodenmath.com. Next week, Dr. Alan Goldstein, professor of biomaterials, the chair of molecular, bio, uh, molecular cell biology and uh, biomedical materials and engineering at Alfred University. Go on the website and read the article that's entitled I, Nanobot. Sit down, prepare to have your mind blown, and uh, and then come on back in a week, and we'll talk to Dr. Alan Goldstein, the guy who wrote that article, and who's going to talk about some of the things that are happening in nano, bio, neuro technology, and it is mind blowing stuff, people. Trust me, the things that are coming are just outrageous, and they're not 50 years away. I mean, while the while the Congressional committees, you know, debate this, that, and the other thing, and the, uh, you know, the uh, the Council for Ethical Biotechnology and Nanotechnology debate their own uh, particular agendas. This stuff is happening. Nothing can stop it. I mean, the, the the research just just goes on. It just happens, and uh, quite frankly, you know, many of the scientists are not. Um, well, let's just put it this way. There are scientists of all sorts these days. And you don't necessarily have to have the funding of a giant university or institution in order to do science now. All you need is a really good computer, for the most part. And uh, some wits. <laughs> anyway, there are amazing things that are happening. And uh, we're going to talk with uh, Dr. Alan Goldstein about some of that stuff next week. All right? On the 22nd, as I said, Rian Eisler... Really pleased and excited to have the author of The Chalice and the Blade on the program two weeks from now. And uh, Rick Levine, 
or Levine. I'm not sure how we pronounce it. I want to say Levine. But anyway, Rick Levine is someone who uh, Jay Widener introduced me to. And I recently watched a remarkable DVD that he has produced in association with Jay. And it's called Quantum Astrology. And it's a way, uh, you know, I actually am sort of a scientist at heart. I'm just an open-minded scientist. I don't discount things out of hand just because they don't fall within the current, uh, the current paradigm or the current view. But uh, I've never been one much for astrology. But the more I learn about it, it turns out that it's as much a science as anything else is. And uh, Rick Levine has done an amazing piece uh, that I said uh, before, actually. It's called Quantum Astrology. And uh, we'll have him on the air. I'm not sure when. Probably early June. Um, but we'll talk about that DVD and some of his, uh, some of his other work. Now, uh, Jay Widener. Him and uh, John Major Jenkins. That's coming up. Jay's new documentary is soon to be finished and in the can. I spoke with him uh, yesterday. And we've got Cat Harrison, perhaps with Dennis, perhaps not. Uh, Vincent Bridges again soon. And lots of, uh, lots of great stuff going on, all right? All right, so if you're interested in any of this stuff, hop on the web. You can always get copies of the program there. If you want to download them, they're available. And that's that for now, all right? So this is Mike. It's Radio Orbit www.mikehagan.com We'll come back. We'll do space weather. We'll read some news. We'll have Marco Roden in about 45 minutes. But let's take a break uh, a minute. And, you know, there's lots of new people listening. Uh, so in particular, I want to say uh, thank you and hello to Debbie. She's in northern Illinois. And she's listening live over the web. And uh, this one is for her. All right? Amazing. Who to thunk? Thanks for the great energy, Debbie. I got it. This is Jos Van Oost. It's live music that was recorded in the studio here at KOPN uh, last uh, last spring on on uh, my friend Casey's program. It's called Open Mic Radio. This is Jos Van Oost. It's independent music from Rotterdam. That's right, in the Netherlands. It's called The Solid Air. We'll be back in just a minute. This is Mike. You're listening to Radio Orbit. And, and well... It's called a solid air. Solid air, you're losing the 
living just on solid air. I don't know what's going wrong inside, but I can tell you that it's hard to hide when you're moving on, moving on solid air, solid air. I love you. I just love you. I can be a friend. I can follow you anyway, anywhere on Sunday. Is no Sunday. You've been cutting too deep, losing your sleep on Sunday. lovely night as a matter of fact and uh, I was noticing that when I walked in and saw the moon above me about three quarters full two thirds maybe I don't know five eighths <laughs> anyway uh, that's solid air Jos van Oost and it was an amazing night when that was recorded actually I think it was last June and it was a Wednesday night Casey Olianik, my friend uh, who has a wonderful radio program every Wednesday from 10 until midnight, had Yos live in the studio. We recorded two hours of music, um, just him and his guitar and his voice. And there was some great stuff that happened that night. And I had a bunch of stuff recorded, and that was one of them. It was called Solid Air. And uh, I know that um, Yos listens once in a while from... Uh, 
he's on the road a lot, but he also makes his home in uh, the Netherlands. And so that one's out there for you and uh, for whoever it was that I mentioned earlier. I forget. All right, let's do space weather. Uh, let's see. Okay, there is a sunspot. Number 882, designated sunspot 882, getting bigger quickly. A couple of days ago, it was virtually invisible. Now it's a lot bigger than our own planet. A couple times wider than the Earth. No big deal, though. It really happens all the time. And uh, there are actually a number of sunspots, though, right now, just sort of dotted on the front part of the, of the, uh, of the disk, as we say. And... Uh, the activity, though, from the sun is pretty, pretty mellow right now. That's not the, that's not the news right now in the heavens. The news right now in the heavens is this comet. Uh, this is the big story: Comet Schwarzman-Wachmann, 73P. And uh, if you were looking last night and you had a little telescope, I mean, even a reasonably decent backyard telescope, and uh, you know, a good pair of binoculars, you can see this thing now. Uh, you just have to know where to look. But anyway, last night a beautiful sight, easily seen through backyard telescopes for sure. And uh, Schwarzman Wachmann sort of was cruising past uh, an astronomical area that's called the Ring Nebula. That's identified as M57 for those of you who are interested in all those classifications. But anyway, if you were looking at the Ring Nebula or in that direction last night, you'd have seen... Uh, comet 73P Schwarzman-Wachmann cruise right by. Now, that comet is breaking up, and we've been talking about it for weeks now on the air, uh, long before other people were even mentioning it, by the way. That's, of course, not uh, due to me. It's due to Kent Stedman, who does amazing work and is always watching the heavens above your head. And uh, Kent and I, as a matter of fact, are going to do a special program this coming Friday. Uh, let's see, which is the 12th, I think. Yeah, it's going to be um, a program streamed on the web, just like this one is, in the same place you're listening to this, but it'll be live at 10 o'clock Eastern, I take that back, 10 o'clock Central Time, next Friday, uh, this coming Friday, and we'll be talking exclusively about this comet, or comets, and uh, uh, cosmic interlopers, as it were, in general, all right? So that's coming up on Friday. If you want information about that or more information, just hop on the web and go to my website, and you can find information about that special show that's coming up this Friday, okay? All right, so, uh, and it's amazing. I mean, this comment is something else. There's a whole lot to it. I mean, honestly, there's, there's, there's plenty to talk about, and uh, we'll do it, okay? All right, what else is happening? Tuesday morning, tomorrow morning, Maybe an hour and a half before sunrise or so, that's your last chance to catch uh, the comet that we're talking about here uh, in a dark, moonless sky. And uh, if you want to do that, you'll have to locate what's called the Summer Triangle. Vega is a star you'll have to identify. Altair, another star you'll have to identify. And Deneb, or Deneb, high in the east-northeast. All right? About halfway from Vega to Altair, inside of this triangle... All right, you'll find another star that's called Albireo. And uh, the comet should be visible not far uh, to the north of that star. All right, 
And uh, now during the uh, during the, the the period, probably from the 10th, 11th or so, through the 15th, maybe the 16th, um, the comet's going to be moving toward the east, and it'll move about six degrees a day. But the moon's going to be getting brighter and brighter now. As you know, we'll have full moon probably in a week and a half or so. And um, so it, it, it won't be as brilliant as it is for the next couple of days. All right? Tomorrow, uh, what else is happening? Let's see, Tuesday. I don't know. Not much happening. Maybe Mars and Saturn you can see tomorrow night. Uh, that's about it really happening. Now, what else is happening in the news in space? The comet, though, amazing, you guys. Now, here's the thing that Kent and I, one of the things that Kent and I are going to be talking about is that, uh, you know, we're not so much worried about getting smacked by this thing. It's uh, splintering up, no question about it. There's all kinds of little pieces, and it's driving the NASA people crazy. I mean, nobody can track all of the uh, all of the separate uh, chunks of this thing that are just literally splitting up as we speak. Uh, but I don't think that there are very many, at least consensus is that there are not very many that are uh, that would be devastating to the planet, for example. You know, But the interesting thing that I see is that we'll be flying through the tails of all of this debris for months. And those of you who are interested in exobiology and understand the nature of certain life forms, spores, for example, um, these things can be delivered over vast distances, cosmic distances, galactic distances. And so the debris and the dust and the field that we're going to travel through as we move uh, past these comets and this, or, or these cometary fragments, I should say, and it moves and they move past us. You know, everything is moving. Well, we just have no way of knowing whether that's just a bunch of inert rocks. It might not be just a bunch of inert rocks. You know, there might be biology in there. This is the whole idea of panspermia, an idea that goes back at least a hundred years. You know, that biology is. Uh, spread throughout the galaxy and throughout the universe via these types of vehicles, you know. And so, um, you know, the mushroom is a real interesting thing. Um, Spores, mushroom spores, have been shown, or or, or I should say there's there's a very valid argument that's made uh, that these are the type of materials that could survive vast distances in the near vacuum of space and uh, you know great levels of radiation and uh, temperature variation and the mushroom spore is something that can survive these types of conditions forever basically at least as long as we've been able to uh, assume and then you know and we'll talk about this next week, and I probably shouldn't go into it too much now, but uh, psilocybin. Psilocybin is a really interesting chemical compound because it is the only, that's right, the only four phosphorylated indole on this planet, or at least the only one we've been able to find. 
And uh, that really, really is uh, sort of a red flag because the way uh, chemistry moves around this planet, if something is valuable and uh, um, has a long evolutionary history, you usually see evidence of it somewhere else. While psilocybin in the, you know, Stropharia cubensis and uh, a couple other... uh, strains of, uh, of mushroom is the only four phosphorylated indole uh, on the planet. So that argues, at least uh, for some people, uh, to an extraterrestrial origin. So, anyway, lots of things can fly in the tails of comets. And we're going to pass right through this lady. Or through the tail of this lady, I should say. And I think it's really cool. I love it. Comets bring spores. The mushroom is good. So, don't sweat it. <sighs> Alright, what else? Okay, so, um, speaking of that, May 8th through the 11th, check this out. This is called Synchronicity, as our wonderful teacher Carl Jung would have said. The Conference on the Origin and Distribution of Life in the Universe. A Nordic Perspective. This is something that's going on in Stockholm, Sweden, right, uh, Sweden right now. Started today. Uh, also, May 8th through the 12th, the first international conference on impact cratering in the solar system. Hmm. Sort of the opposite side of the spectrum there. I'm talking about uh, mushroom spores being delivered, and then uh, on the other side we have the actual impact cratering scenario. That's not a very pleasant one, so let's not talk about that. All right, what else? May 8th through the 14th, the Conference on Supernova, or Supernovae. Um, and this in particular is a conference that they're talking about, uh, Supernova 1006, that happened a thousand years ago. Or at least that's what they think. This is a, a conference that's going on in China. Anyway, things happening all over the planet, obviously. Uh, supernova are another methodology that guys like Paul Laviolette, Dr. Paul Laviolette, distinguished Dr. Paul Laviolette, uh, have made a wonderful argument for, you know, as far as um, events that can deliver cosmic material across vast distances. Supernova, sure. You know, uh, it's sort of the every guy belief. We all talk about it all the time, you know, that we're made of stars. We're made of stardust. Everybody says this, you know. Well, the implication is that we're also made of other stuff, you know. I mean, if we're made of stars, we're also made of planets. We're also made of biology that was on those planets, perhaps. I mean, we're biology. That's what we are. So, anyway, lots and lots and lots of things going on and people talking about things from all kinds of different perspectives, and I just love it. All right, what else? Uh... May 11th, Comet Schwassmann-Wachmann, again. Uh, they're saying that this is the near-Earth flyby on the 11th, but who knows right now. It's a total crapshoot with this thing. And uh, for the next uh, few weeks, that will be the news. Keep an eye on this comet and what's happening. There are a couple other comets that are actually getting close to the sun over the same time period, but uh, they will probably get very little press, and I don't think there's reason to talk about them right now unless, they're, uh, unless they change somehow. All right? Okay, so uh, we're going to take another break here. I'm going to get Marco on the telephone. 
we'll play a piece of music, and then uh, we'll come back, we'll do the news, and then we'll talk to Marco, Marco Roden, for the rest of the evening, or at least for the rest of this program. And if you want to find information on Marco, and I highly suggest that if you're going to be, um, if you're really wanting to get involved in this conversation, go to his website now and try to skim it and look over it a little bit because there's some really interesting things there, uh, graphics that I think will be really helpful, but also just some conceptual things that if you read up front will help, um, will, will, will make it more clear when Marco's talking about it. And, uh, I just want everyone to to have the best opportunity to understand this stuff on the first go-around. And if I had to compare it to a show I've done before, I would say uh, John DePew and the Coral Castle Code. If you remember, we talked to him uh, maybe six months ago or so, and that was a difficult one. And I'm trying to learn from that example. And um, Marco's wonderful, and he has a, the, the ability to deliver this message um, clearly. We just have to sort of stay on track and try to uh, try to keep uh, keep it in a place where where we can all understand it. Okay, so we'll do our best. We'll come back. We'll do that. And in the meantime, we will listen to the music here of my friend Brendan Angelitas. This is Eskimo, and he can be found on the web at eskimo.com. E S K M O. And this song is called Cross Hatches. Great stuff. And congratulations to Brendan for getting signed on some of his down tempo stuff recently. He's a wonderful musician and making great art, and I, um, I'm glad to be able to support him and all the other people that are doing the same thing, okay? All right, this is Mike. You're listening to Radio Orbit. It's KOPN Columbia. We're streaming live on the web, www.cosmicwavesradio.com. You can link there directly from my site or uh, figure it out on your own. This is Eskimo, and the song is called Crosshatches. Thank you. 
It's Mike. It's Radio Orbit. It's uh, 11.45. We'll have Marco Roden, the outrageously amazing Marco Roden, in 15 minutes. What this guy's doing is outrageous. He's a super genius, <laughs> basically. Uh, uh, the concepts, a lot of it's imagery, so I encourage you to get on the web at um, Marco's website, RodinMath, R-O-D-I-N-M-A-T-H.com. He has a sister site, rodentaerodynamics.org, and you can get there from my site as well. But anyway, uh, the stuff that Marco is doing is amazing, and we're going to do our best to, uh, uh, to lay it out so people can, can get a real feel for what the, what the potential and the implications of what he has discovered are. All right? Okay, in the meantime, let's see, what else? I told you Kent Stedman and I were going to do a show on Friday about this comet. I'm all excited about that. 
Uh, let's see what else is happening here in the news. Neutron stars. Uh, we'll let Dr. Paul handle that. Uh, wow, here's one. Google. You know, there's a whole bunch of stuff been in the news recently again about um, wireless broadband being offered and uh, suggested by whomever in different places. The most recent one I heard was uh, in Maryland. And basically, uh, in there's all. it's really weird, actually, because at the same time there's legislation in Congress that is uh, sort of threatening to the Internet as we know it. But I just don't think that that stuff is going to fly. Uh, at any rate, we're not going to worry about that right now. But there's amazing things happening with regard to wireless broadband access. As all these people talk about putting the reins on the Internet, there are people like Google or companies like Google, who I used to really pick on. I used to jump on Google all the time because there were guys that used to work for NSA that were involved in their hierarchy. And anytime I see, you know, spooks, you got to get nervous. And you wonder, And I mean, it's just my nature. But anyway, uh, the proof is in the pudding, and I guess know them by their fruits, so to speak. And so far from what I see, the people at Google are doing a great job at trying to offer wireless broadband to everyone for free, which is what everyone needs. We all need access to the global information source, you know, the global brain. And that's what it is. It's a neural network. It's a, it's a nervous system that's growing as an artifice on the outside of our planet. It's outrageous what's actually happening. But anyway, I think that to, to try to stifle access to it uh, is probably not uh, going to happen. And I think there are enough people out there that are really pushing the envelope like Google, luckily, uh, and others for sure, but they're the biggie, man. They are, you know, they talk about the 800-pound gorilla. They really are. And they're, um, they're doing a great job, so kudos to those guys, and I appreciate it. All right, what else? Um, that's in the news, by the way. <laughs> All right. Uh, paint on laser brings optical computing closer. Listen to this. A laser created by simply painting a solution of crystals onto glass could be used to make super-fast computers that use light instead of electricity. The technology could also provide cheap sensors for biomedical and monitoring applications. Much more there from New Scientist. Um, all this stuff is available on the web at my website, and just go click on the news page. Or you can just page down on the, on the front page there. There's actually some of the sort of headline news that we have there, the most recent stuff. And thanks to Larry, he's been digging up some great stuff in the news lately and posting it there on the front page. Here's one. Now, this, th- these are the ones that really bother me. I'll read this one to you, and then I'll go rant for a couple minutes. A three-week... The, the, the title of this is Deep Ocean Trawl Nets New Bugs. This is from the BBC. This one i got to open up. i got to see the whole freaking story of this one. This is what really gets me. All right. A three-week voyage of discovery in the Atlantic has returned with tiny animals which appear new to science. Oh. Wow, something they didn't know. Amazing how that keeps happening. They include waif-like plankton with delicate translucent bodies related to jellyfish, hundreds of microscopic shrimp, and several kinds of fish. The voyage is part of an ongoing census of marine life. See, and this is how they disguise it with words, by the way, which aims to map ocean life throughout the world. Now, this is how they map ocean life, by trawling it and killing it. 
and bringing it into their laboratories and chopping it up into the smallest pieces they can possibly chop and then analyzing it. And this is the science of life. Well, the new science of life is actually studying life in a living state. You know, Rupert Sheldrake. Thank you, Rupert, you know, for the work that you've done over the years. In 1980, 26 years ago, wrote A New Science of Life and clearly and beautifully, you know, illustrated that the best way to study life is probably not by killing it first. And it's a hard lesson that's yet to be learned by Western science or by Earth science in general at this point. Sort of in a dark age in that respect. But it's coming around and, uh, and actually articles like this help it come around because people like me talk about it and hopefully other people that listen to it recognize that there's, you know, something there to be thought about. What else? What's happening in the chat room here? Question, a bunch of questions from Marco. We'll wait on those. Hop over to the forum here. Streams up. Saturn's moon Titan has dunes. That's a great uh, article that one of the guys on the web just posted. And uh, it talks about this moon of Saturn. It's called Titan, and, and uh, you know Kent and I were talking about that a couple months ago. And anyway, listen to this. Saturn's moon Titan has huge regions covered by dunes, possibly made out of ice crystals, sand, or other unknown material. <laughs> uh, international space scientists reported on Thursday, images of Titan beamed back to Earth from the joint U.S.-European Cassini mission look very much like sand dunes in the Sahara Desert, Namibia, Saudi Arabia and Australia, the, research, uh, the researchers said. Anyway, lots more to that story. But uh, remember, the, remember the movie and the books, Dune? Who was the guy that wrote that? Frank Herbert. The guy's name was Frank... Speaking of NSA, Frank Herbert was NSA. Frank Herbert was an NSA operative. And he wrote the whole Dune series. He was a total Intel insider. And... Uh, it's amazing, actually, now that I think back uh, about about his career. And he had a real interesting uh, interest in language, Frank Herbert did. He was brilliant. But he wrote the Dune series, and everyone just thought he was a sci-fi writer, but he wasn't. He was a spook, first and foremost, long before he was writing Dune. Uh, outrageous. Anyway, so there you go. Maybe it's the spice, after all. <laughs> all right, let's see. Uh, it is... <laughs> and it is, you know, you just got to know what spice. <laughs> you just got to know the right spice, I guess. That's sort of the trick. Anyway, uh, go to Saturn's moon and look around. This is Mike. You're listening to Radio Orbit. We'll play a little bit of more music here. A little bit of more. Or a little bit more. Tongue-tied and twisted this evening. As we bring Marco Roden on in just a couple minutes... And let's see, what do I want to play before Marco gets on the air here? What would be what would be appropriate for what we're about to hear? This would be appropriate. This is called the Rosetta Stone. It's by my friend Henrique Palmgren. We're doing a lot of we're doing a lot of international stuff tonight, and it's sort of fitting because we're streaming for the second week in a row, thanks to uh, Carrie and Paul 
and the girls and guys over at Cosmic Waves Radio, thank you so much for making this uh, available to people outside of our normal listening area. And as always, this will be available on the web after the fact, if you want to download it or listen to it later or share it with your friends. Okay? Um, as I said, Henrik Palmgren, he's from Sweden. He goes, uh, or his musical project at least, goes by the name of Leek, L-E-E-Q. And this song is called The Rosetta Stone.
All right. Straight up midnight. It's Radio Orbit, KOPN Columbia. My name is Mike Hagan. That was Leak, my friend, Henrik Palmgren. If you're interested in his music or his other work, he does a, uh, he manages and runs a wonderful website that's called redice.net. R-E-D-I-C-E dot net. That's Henrik Palmgren at red-ice.net. And his musical project is called Leak. All right, so here we are. Uh, it is Radio Orbit. It's uh, time to talk about Marco Roden. And today I was trying to come up with an introduction that was fitting for this gentleman. And I didn't know exactly how to introduce him, so I decided what I would do is just use an introduction uh, based on something that somebody else wrote about him. And the person who wrote the following is a guy whose name was Russell Blake, or is Russell Blake. And for about 12 years, I want to say 12, maybe 14 years, he was the senior research engineer at Microsoft. He was Bill Gates' guy. He's one of the magicians behind all the code that makes everything in all of our computers work. And he made an extraordinary statement about Marco Roden's work. And I'm going to read it here really quickly, and then we'll bring Marco on the air. Here's how it goes. To whom it may concern... Two years ago, I met Marco Roden through a mutual acquaintance. Mr. Roden shared some of his results with me at that time. It became clear to me that Mr. Roden's work was a synthesis of numerical patterns which had previously been overlooked by conventional science and mathematics. In hopes of bridging the gap between Mr. Roden's discoveries and conventional science, I put forth an analytical framework in which mathematical formulae generate the numerical patterns of what is called the Roden torus. These formulae suggest that the rodent torus lies not just on the surface of the donut shape, but into the interior as well. In other words, the rodent torus is three-dimensional. This mathematical formulation is as yet incomplete, and the physical meaning of these numerical phenomena remain unexplored still. Yet in my career, I have several times discovered new mathematical formulations which, which have led to new products. In the late 1970s, I discovered atomic modeling, which revolutionized computer performance modeling, measurement, and sizing. In the early 1990s, I discovered new ways to express the time-dependent behavior of program code, which led to reductions of program code size of 50% of the original for all programs to which it was applied. I mention these facts merely to convince the reader that my intuition has a history of success in the practical application of new mathematics. Now I am completely convinced that the Roden Taurus will likewise lead to new and revolutionary advances in art and science. Mr. Roden's work has suffered from a lack of adequate scientific attention, and I am sure that as the research momentum builds and the proper relationship between the Roden Taurus and conventional science is fully understood, both areas of endeavor will attain new heights. I am very much looking forward to playing a role in this adventure. Now, these are the words of Russell Blake, a mathematical genius in his own right, highly, highly uh, regarding the gentleman who we're going to talk to right now. So without further delay, Marco Roden, thanks very much for being on Radio Orbit, and uh, we appreciate your time. Thank you for inviting me, Mike. You're welcome. And, uh, wow, amazing words uh, from a guy like Russell Blake. Absolutely amazing. Um, Russell Blake is the author of the book Optimizing Windows NT, which was published by Microsoft Press. Uh, he's a celebrity wherever he travels internationally. Last time I spoke with him, he had moved to China mm. to 
because he was so famous and everybody knew him to continue his work. Well, I, I couldn't think of a better way to introduce you than that, so that's what we did. Uh, so, Marco Roden, here you are. Um, let's uh, start out by talking a little bit about you, Marco. I want people to understand who you are, where you came from, and we'll even talk a little bit about where uh, these ideas came from. Tell us a little bit about yourself and where you came from and, and how you got along this path. Okay. Um, the the best way, the most entertaining way to me to explain what I do is um, I'm interested in sounds. Um, sometimes it's referred to as resonance. Um, when I was um, a little kid, I used to watch the old Tarzan movies with the kooka barrel <laughs> echoing, making the sound in the background. Right, right, right. And, um, of course, that is an Australian bird that didn't exist in Africa. But it, it sounded so good in the Tarzan movies that they added it to the effect. <laughs> and um, when I was about, I think, I don't know, seven or so, I really can't remember, I learned how to make that sound so, so loud that you could hear it blocks away. <laughs> I must have uh, tore up the apartment building I lived in because that's what I love to do <laughs> in our apartment was make that sound. So um, I noticed that it affected um, my dreams and it affected my energy levels. And um, I realized that the sound was tuning me. Hmm. And that's when I realized that we aren't all created just as a, um, at a static state, that we all have potentials that can be affected by um, harmonics, by sounds. So... Um, yeah, look at what music does to people. I mean, you know, I mean, that's the obvious example. It gets your feet tapping, gets your body moving. You know, the right stuff makes you feel different ways, makes you make, makes you react differently. No question about it. In, in every um, historical source, uh, harmonic sound music is the um, most revered thing, especially in religion. In the Bible, the, the saying is, is that the keys of heaven unlock through the name of God. Hmm. Um, in the Torah, they didn't say the name of God, Adonai, Eloheinu, because they didn't want to desecrate it. Um, in every religion, it's, it, if you learn the precise mystic intonation of the name of God, you, it teaches that you reach the apex of consciousness, that right. you get divine guidance. Right. Yes. There's something about speaking the name or being able to be, being able to know the true name of, of of God, whatever that means. There's so many complications to it. Sometimes they refer to it as the precise mystic intonation, precise intonation. Um, so, in, again, in all religions, it says that the name of God was created by the Word. And, and again, right, right. most people having a, a, a background with the Bible, we always hear about the Word in. Um, you know, let, let's clarify that, Marco, real fast, because for, for people out there who, who aren't familiar with the, with the three Western religions, mm -hmm. they basically all start the same way, and that and, and basically <laughs> says, in, in the beginning was the Word, and the, word, and, and the yeah. word was made flesh, right? So there's obviously something about sound, language, spoken word. Well, um, it, it, it's been very hard on me, and it's tripped me up um, as far as the exertion I've had to make to understand the word, because it's, um, it's obviously not W-O-R-D. What I discovered is that in Arabic, Hebrew, Persian, um, Aramaic, the word is represented by the letter Aleph, A-L-I-F, hmm. which is a straight line. I think everybody's somewhat familiar with the, the word Aleph, 
the term Aleph. So it turns out, um, and we always hear that Arabic can be a difficult language or those languages can be difficult because the vowels aren't written. Mm. Well, what, what I discovered was is that the, the saying is, is the Aleph is the seat for the Hamza. It turns out that the Aleph isn't even a vowel. The, the Aleph is a consonant. It's called the international phonetic symbol glottal stop. Um, the saying is, Aleph, Aleph is the seat for the Hamza. The Hamza is, um, is, is a, a consonant, and then the vowels are diacritical marks, whether it's short A or broad A. So, um, and that, so it isn't just that the mysticism was talking about the Word of God, but there was actually certain linguistics and phonetics. It was literally a science, an art. Right, so there, so, so there literally were sounds, spoken sounds, that if done correctly could access what? Um, I, I'm very certain on what it accesses. I believe that um, every one of us has an inherent potential to have um, communion with God, not just mm -hmm. through prayer, although there's nothing greater than prayer, but also if you know the name of God, how to say it correctly, I believe that you actually can receive, through communion with God, you actually get inspiration, illumination. I work in coils. They, they made a coil, which I um, am named after, called the rodent coil. All right, let's talk a little bit about coils, first of all, for people who don't know, who ne never heard the word coil before. What's a coil? Well, um, to start with, the ultimate coil is the human temple. That's why we're called the, the mortal coil. We've heard the saying, the hmm. mortal coil. Yes, sure. Okay. Our body's a coil. The ultimate, um, and coils do one of two things. I guess I'm... I'm, I'm closing it in a little bit, but they transmit and they receive, okay? The, they can be an antenna, mm -hmm. okay? And the ultimate antenna to transmit and receive is the human brain, this mortal coil. Mm -hmm. And I believe that in, so my goal in life is to always be healthy enough, clean enough in diet and lifestyle to get inspiration, divine guidance. And I believe through the name of God is the ultimate source of inspiration and divine guidance. Hmm. So that, those, are, those are my views. And maybe I couldn't have said it as eloquently as it could have been put. Well, no, I mean, it, it shows that it comes from... It, look, the bottom line is this, is that the mathematics behind this stuff speak for themselves. Okay. And that, and that comes to it. But I want people to understand, you know, that there is sort of a cross between science and mysticism here because, because much of what you've... Uh, discovered comes from, uh, you know, ancient mystic traditions, including, you know, numerology and, and these ancient texts that, that, have, that have secrets encoded in them. And you, you have been able to uncover some of this stuff. And I, want, uh, I just want people to understand a little bit of where it came from. Well, you, you, you pretty much encapsulated very excellently. Classically, and, and it's just so simple, we're always taught, at least of, uh, the ones of us that are given a religious uprearing, if we have a problem, if we have a need, go to the scriptures. The scriptures always have your answers. Hmm. And um, my, my field that I went to the scriptures was, uh, it's a form of paranormal psychology. Um, I, I'm going to be, I seem like I'm, I'm insane. No, go, go. We got plenty of time, so you just do it. Well... My goal was to understand how to tap into the underutilized remaining 90% potential of the brain. Right. They tell us we only use 10% plus or minus of our, the capacity of our brain. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
So, um, and we only know 10% of the universe, and that supposedly. Interesting correlation. Probably a lot less than that, I would <laughs> Yeah, maybe like 0.01%. Well, it's so vast. Um, I believe the shape of the universe is a torus or a donut. Okay. Uh, so I, you know, and, and, and there is no mathematics in conventional Western academia that can see over the event horizon of a, of a black hole, or, and because the universe warps. But anyway, the math that I have discovered, which comes out of the scriptures, explains that which, everything in its ultimate shape becomes that of a donut. Which scriptures? I'm of a religion called Baha'i Faith. Okay. And I, uh, there's a prophet called Baha'u'llah, and he reveals certain textbooks, um, the Seven Valleys and the Four Valleys, the Hidden Words, the Book of Certitude. Um, there's certain tablets, like, um, oh, there's... If anyone emailed me, I'd be glad to send them okay, copies. Yeah, no, they can do a web search under Baha'i, B-A-H-A-I, faith. Right. It's not, it's not that obscure. Certainly, there, there are people of the Baha'i faith that, that uh, are everywhere, certainly. so. Okay, but, so but the other Baha'is, most Baha'is, in fact, I can say um, probably accurately that no Baha'i is familiar with the mathematics, the technology, that's enshrined and encrypted within the scriptures. All right, so this is the yeah this this is where the where the rubber hits the road is that is that these these things are 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 hidden I guess is or occulted you know in inside these texts and 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 you were able to uh, to uncover it and so I am um, I always sometimes like um, race you know um, jumpstart things but um, I'd like to say to the audience if I can be so forward. Please. Um, I, I don't make um, small claims about what I do. Um, the most primitive electrical coil that I produced, um, actually other engineers made it on my behalf, mm-hmm. um, just made in the most simplest um, environment, uh, in a garage, uh, laboratory workshop, a homemade everything. This coil produced 60% greater output of the magnetic inductance. Um, it was made by Bill Ramsey. Um, using these coils... Who's Bill um, Ramsey? He was introduced to me, um, I guess, in the early 92, 93, 94. Mm-hmm. And he was the only one at that time that I was willing to volunteer to take my schematics and blueprints as best he could approximate and make this coil mm-hmm. that was wound in a completely different way than conventional electrical coils. So the way they wind the copper for the coil was different. Right. Okay. And we'll get more into that later, no doubt. Okay. And so if this coil was applied to motors, to different things, um, I actually believe that I'm able to harness an energy that's never been seen before. And I have endorsements from the peer review from the different experts in the field saying that I've done just that. Yeah, I, I literally claim that I can obsolete petroleum, that I can obsolete nuclear power. And I, I, I shudder when we use the term nuclear power because it's a charade because nuclear power isn't nuclear. Every um, nuclear reactor in the world is just a, um, a, a teapot. It's just used to boil water to create steam right. through the heat. Right. And um, so what I'm able to do is I'm able to, I've literally found an energy at the source of the nucleus of every atom that it, to quote one of the, um, he was the laser optics whiz kid of General Dynamics, the biggest weapons manufacturer in the world at the time. He said, his name was Tom Dawson, he said, I had discovered the source of the non-decaying spin of the electron. I have found an energy 
that is linear, that goes in a straight line that doesn't bend, is irresistible, penetrates everything. It's the source of all motion, vibration, and time. And I can see it. And that's what makes my discovery so profound, is because there's nothing out there today that explains or can observe why everything curves and warps. Right, and the mathematics that you've come up with do exactly that. Right. All right, and we're going to talk about that as we, as we get further into the program. All right, so let's back up just a minute here, okay? We have not, not only uh, Russell Blake, but we've got other people that you've been working with for a long, long time. Some of this stuff goes back. Uh, the most early uh, report that I read about you was 1989, and that was the, there were some biological implications that had to do with a doctor or an oncologist in Germany, maybe. Dr. Hans Nieper. Okay, tell us about that, because that was 17 years ago. So you've obviously been working on this stuff for a long, long time. The Begin first with, place that I ever published um, was in 1988 Okay. at Airspace America. It was the United States... Big Aerospace oh, Conference. The biggest in the history of the U.S. Yes, I remember. You do? Yeah. I've been interested in this stuff for a long time, and I was sort of a big UFO buff even as I was a teenager, and I followed the aerospace... Uh, developments and, and the industry and the news pretty closely. But at any rate, tell us about Very it. Very few people remember it. Um, well, I, I was selected. To, in charge of the presentations was defense, was the editor, James Martin, the editor of Defense Science Magazine. Mm-hmm. Um, my paper was titled Low-Cost Propulsion Based Upon the Reevaluation of the Physics of Matter. Um, he, he hosted me. He was very kind. He put me under the topic of power and, propel, power and propulsion systems, which is the heart of aerospace. Damn right it is. Um, so that was the first. Uh, without me going too deep into that at this moment, in 1989, I wanted my work to be applied um, to medicine. And I was able to jump from one category topic to another because, um, and it, actually one of the hardest discoveries I ever made was in, in that topic of medicine. I published in the biggest genetic engineering conference in the world. It was called... International Biotechnological Exposition in San Mateo. And they were kind enough to let me do a poster presentation at their conference, and they published me in their proceedings. Mm-hmm. Um, what You mentioned Rupert Sheldrick at the opening. I love Rupert. Well, Rupert postulates the existence of what is referred to as a morphogenetic field. Mm-hmm. Am I saying it correctly? Morphogenetic. Yeah, the morphogenetic field, exactly. Okay. I can see it. I know where it is, and I can harness it. And for people out there who, who, want a, who want a quick nutshell description of that, what Rupert basically argues is that organisms, uh, biology in general, has sort of a genetic memory, and that uh, traits, genes, and uh, many, many different things that are characteristics of all these different species are literally inherited along a, a sort of... Uh, a resonant field that exists outside of space-time. Maybe, uh, uh, you know, we could talk about Bell non-locality or something like that, but maybe that's not worth getting into. It isn't into, even but that hard, but that's exactly right. It's, not, it's an invisible higher-dimensional flux field. Right, okay. Um, so any, okay, so continue with uh, your comments about Rupert. Well, so he's noted as one of these um, predictors of that. There was just um, in the courts, and they lost the battle. Um, the topic was intelligent design. Huh, yeah. Um, Lots of talk about that all over the country right now. Uh, another 
term for either morphogenetic field or intelligent design is also bioetheric template. Etheric is spelled um, A-E-T-H-E-R-I-C. Okay. Um, Bioetheric template. Yeah. Okay. So using this map that I've discovered, I'm able to see inside the major groove of DNA. Um, in fact, when I initially made the discovery, I went to... Um, University of California um, in La Jolla, San Diego, California. Mm-hmm. Um, it took like six months for the person there to, it was a, to meet with me. He was their new technology transfer specialist. And I shared it with him my discoveries on DNA that the major groove of DNA is not hollow or empty. <laughs> um, and what his, do they say? Nature abhors a vacuum? That's it. <laughs> well, not only is there a higher dimensional flux field in DNA, but it control, it's, the respo- it's responsible for the hel- helical anatomical structure of DNA. It controls all cleavage and receptor sites in the molecules of DNA. And uh, it, it is responsible for all information encryption that takes place in mitosis <laughs> during um, DNA um, duplication, sister strand duplication. Right. Um, his response was, well, we know DNA is made out of phosphates, and all phosphates have a negative electric charge. So he said, of course, there's going to be an associated magnetic field with any negative electric charge. The difference is, is inside this magnetic field, I am able to observe at the center. We have electricity, and in the center of electricity, we have magnetism. Magnetism goes to center. Um, in the center of magnetism, I have found a flux, F-L-U-X. Mm-hmm. Why I call it a flux field, because only magnetism can respond instantaneously, simultaneously fast enough to give slippage and free play to this flux. You could call it spirit, prana, chi. Sometimes it's called dark matter. Ether. Sometimes it's called uh, uh, ether was believed to exist, and then after they, I won't go into the history of it, but you're, you're probably familiar with it. I, was it was the Mendelssohn experiment, mm. the 1920s. Yeah. Um, Which was really not a very valid experiment, in my opinion. Well, Einstein's response was that's where they, for the audience, they measured the drag of the Earth through space and said that there was nothing resisting it. Mm. So they said, and prior to that, most of our great great grandparents believed in what was called the lumiferous ether, that the universe had this invisible ether. When they used to do radio shows in the early 1900s, they used to say, this show's coming to you over the ether wave. Right, right. And it was just sort of this general sort of sea that everything floated in. And so when they came to the conclusion it didn't exist, uh, of course I wasn't there, but it is refuted that Einstein said, the only other choice is that it's an inertia ether. Hmm. And that's what I believe, and that's exactly true. It's an ether that emanates from the center of the nucleus of every atom. We call it call it spirit. We call it black dark energy, dark matter. Call it um, tachyon, monopole. Maxwell postulated an electrical uh, uh, postulated a particle that semitized all his electrical equations. He referred to it as the monopole. Hmm. It's real. Hmm. So when I wind these coils, even though they barely approximate the schematics that that I require. They, they still produce tremendous output, greater output, because this discovery has such a huge margin of tolerance right. that no matter how much you only approximate it or abuse it, it still works. Um, 
Wow. All right. Well, look, uh, we're at 25 after the hour, so that's a good place to take a little break here. We'll, we'll, we'll do that. We'll come back, and we will talk more about the mathematics. I want to talk a little bit about um, just where these ideas came from. We'll look at the sequences, uh, and we'll talk a little bit about some of these diagrams that are on the website, okay? Um, I, will, I will add that when we go into the mathematics next, and I do, I will enjoy it. It's going to be a hell of a roller coaster ride for your audience, but I'm game. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll uh... I'm going to keep it very simple. Everyone thinks that what I do is hard. The truth is, it's, it's on the level of an elementary school child. I agree, and, I, and as, I, as I go through the website, uh, it's, there, there, there is a visual component uh, to it that I wish that people could be able to see, but I still think that it can be pretty reasonably described uh, uh, on the airwaves here. So we'll, we'll do it, and... Um, and we we will uh, if it uh, if it works it works if it doesn't we'll move on to something I'll, else. I'll okay? follow your lead. I, yeah, I'm and we've got and, and we're not going to get stuck on it. I mean, I think it's important to see where this stuff comes from, but I think uh, it's it's as important to talk about the implications and the real world applications of the stuff that we're talking about. So we're going to spend a lot of time on that as well. Okay. Thank you. All right, back in just a minute. Uh, this is Mike Hagan, my guest is Marco Roden. You can find information about Marco at www.rodenmath.com. You can also get there from my site at www.mikehagan.com. And we'll play a song here by Matt Presti. This song is called Shine. And that's what my friend Marco is doing for all of us. And so recognize how important this stuff is. People get involved Learn about it. Make a decision on your own if you think it's valid or not. But if it is, you know, send an email to someone else about it. Something. Okay? All right. This is Mike, and I'm sorry to preach. Up to 
what's wrong for the next generation. So save this one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Join me in the song, sing along. The sun will shine away. We can be as one, or we can fall away. I'm not afraid to chance to make this world a better place. The sun will shine away. The darkness will never hold sway. So let go love and be loved, that's the only way. With the truth about the world, it's a test of the best. You gotta stand up in love, or die like a rat. There's only one way to live, to get back what you give. Sometimes you gotta lose, before you can win. Unite the heart and mind, and let yourself shine. There's a rhythm in the world, so divine, so fine. Wake up and realize, what's before your eyes. Go back to sleep, keep living in lies. The choice is up to you, so decide what to do. Follow through, and don't give up, always be true. Many a fool will come, many a fool will go. Many a man believes in what he never will know. Are you experienced what you believe to be? Then stand up, you all, and repeat after me. I got the seeds, gonna plant some trees. Sending a shout out across the seven seas. The sun will shine our way. We can be as one, or we can fall away. Don't be afraid to Make this world a better place. The sun will shine my way. The darkness will never hold sway. So let go of the Got to love and be loved. That's the only way. The sun will shine my way. We can be as one, but we can fall away. Don't be afraid to take the chance to make this world a better place. The sun will shine my way. The darkness will never hold sway. Shine. That's Matt Presty. More independent music on Radio Orbit. This is Mike Hagan, and my guest is Marco Roden. You can find information about Marco at www.rodenmath.com and also at rodenaerodynamics.org. All right, so Marco, uh, we are going to attempt, I think, here, at least for a few minutes and see how it goes, to talk a little bit about the foundation of where. Uh, the mathematics came from, or comes from, that was able uh, to allow you to develop the coil, which is what, which has been the focus of our conversation for the last 15 minutes. Now, this coil, to reiterate, is something that has been tested, and it's a coil that is different than a typical coil, and it has to do with the way that the copper is wound, and I think people, and, and we'll talk more about it, but it has to do with. Uh, the, the geometry, I guess, involved in the wind of the copper. Would that be accurate, Marco? Yes. Okay, so... Uh, the only secret ingredient is the geometry, is the winding, and the other, forgive the term, trick, is to know where not to put the copper, where you leave the uh. spaces for it to, so to speak, respirate and breathe where the magnetic underpinning nested vortices occur. Right, these vortices that we'll talk about a little bit uh, a little bit later here. So, sure. Okay, so... Uh, so we're working backwards, and I like that. We have this coil. We know that it's been tested. We know people have been astonished by what they've seen by it. And we know that it has been very rudimentary versions of the coil. In other words, they haven't been developed uh, in a real accurate manner. In other words, you think it could be done a lot better. 
I would incorporate a, a few features that would radically enhance it. One's called a, a changing aspect ratio. I could go on and on, but okay. I'll, I'll continue to listen. All right, so... Um, all right, so, so we know this much. So now we're going to back up a little bit and say, okay, well, how did you figure out that we needed to wind the coil like the way we need to wind it? And now we get into this fundamental mathematical formula or sequence. It's something that you actually call the mathematical fingerprint of God. Right. And again, you, uh, you, you make no small claims. And uh, uh, the simple well, fact about that's, this is... That's why there's an article by Russell Blake and other scientists. I'm very confrontational to, to my peers, and they have no choice but to dissect and eventually then prove my work's correct. Because my claim is find one error and the whole work is trashed. Right, right. And I mean, you're, you're just laying it out there for everybody else's scrutiny. So, mm-hmm. so far, it has, uh, it's been able to weather all of those tests. All right, so here's what we're going to do. People, if you're on the web, and I suggest you get on the web, Go over to rodenmath.com or rodenaerodynamics.org. You can get there from my site or you can go directly there. They maybe should go to your site because they might crash mine. Okay, so go to my site. Go to, uh, go to any of those three. Better give them the addresses. Okay, one more time, www.mikehagen.com, uh, www.rodenmath.com, and uh, rodenaerodynamics, rodenaerodynamics.com. Uh, .org. That's right, I think. Okay. Yeah, thank you. All right, no problem. If you page down about a third of the way down the page, the first thing you'll see when you page down is an image of a circle. All right, so if we take a circle and uh, we take the numbers 1 through 9 and we equally space the numbers 1 through 9 around the circle with 9 at the top of the circle and... Uh, then going clockwise, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, and again finishing with 9 up on top. So the 4 and the 5 are sort of on the bottom, both sort of straddling where the 6 position would be on a clock. And we have the 9 on top. All right, so this is how we start, right, Marco? And we've got equal sections of this circle. Is that correct? Um, I'm just listening. Okay. So far you're doing great. Okay, so... Um, it's never... It's, it's what you've done is you've just taken, instead of 12 digits around a circle, you've just made a, a nine-digit circle. Nine's at the zenith. Essentially, 360 divided by 40 equals nine. Okay, so we so, have, exactly. We have, we have nine 40-degree arcs, basically. There you go. Uh, that, are, that are cut out of the circle. And again, that's a great, actually, uh, Marco, that's a great description. Imagine that you have a, that you have a clock, but it only has uh, nine numbers on it instead of 12. And the 9 is actually where the 12 would be, and then the 1 would be exactly where you would think it would be. So you start at the top with 9, then 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, all the way around. Um, now from there, we start to connect the dots. And how do we connect the dots, and why do we connect them the way we're going to connect them, Marco? Well, um, I'm still going to let you say you're doing so good. Okay, so... Um, Essentially, you're giving everybody... You're giving, but if they do it right... They have essentially the key to the universe. Okay, well, let's talk about the. Key. This is the key to the universe, and it's and and it's and it's not. You know, I know that's a big cookie, and I'm not sure we want to take a bite out of it. But but there there are many people that are saying that so far they have not been able to find an example where Marco's uh, work here does not fit. In other words, so far he has not been. It has not been able to be determine that this is wrong and that's basically the way that we test mathematical formulas in our in, in our in our world 
So, all right, so we have this circle. It's split up into nine equal arcs of 40 degrees each. If you start at the one position, and again, uh, assume you're basically at one o'clock on a regular clock, and you go down to the two position, what you're doing is you're multiplying. Is that right, Marco? Everything here is a multiplication. Um, you know, is surprisingly, a... everybody makes that classic error, and it wouldn't be just you. It would be all of mankind. Um, the, the truth is, is and I'm not going to explain it, and no one's, it's going to throw everybody for a curveball. Okay. There is a complete difference between the multiplication series of two and doubling. Doubling, mm. D-O-U-B-L-I-N-G, of the number one is, com is what we're doing here. We're essentially taking uh. unity or one, Everything begins and ends with the one, right, one so universe, one God. And I was able to discover that all the other numbers begin and return to one. Right, and doubling the number one is different than multiplying the number one by two. Correct. Um, any, I, I mean, the axiom, uh, just to throw it out on the table, of a multiplication series is that it's either um, a, a straight line or a circle, uh -huh. whereas doubling is a diagonal, it's a spiral, it's a vortex. Okay. The binary code is is a spiral. Okay. And that's what we're talking about here. It's a vortex. Yes. All right. But we'll say one doubled is two. So okay. from one to two, then two doubled is four. Easy. We're, on the, we're just how all computers work, how, how the biology works, four cells, eight cells. Exactly. Or nuclear neutrinos, one neutrino liberates, two liberates, four in a chain reaction. Okay, now what we're doing is we're tracing inside of this circle, all right? And like we're light would bounce in an orb. That's uh, how I configured it, con conceived it when I first discovered it. All right, that's a great, that's a great metaphor, actually, how, how light would bounce around on the inside of a, of a sphere or an orb. All right, so we go from one, one doubled is two, two doubled is four. So we skip over the three, and we draw a line from the two to the four position. Four doubled is eight. So now we, now we draw a line all the way up to the upper left-hand corner where the 8 is. Now here's where it gets a little bit interesting. 8 doubled is 16. But yeah, now we're going to... Everybody, that's where you're, you're going to flunk right no, now. No, no, here's where we're going to make it real easy. Uh, mm -hmm. What we're going to do is reduce everything that we have down to, the, down to its root. And the way we do that is we just add up the numbers in the number itself. So... We're just going to start by telling people how we do this. We said 2 times 2 doubled is 4, 4 doubled is 8, 8 doubled is 16. All right, there's not a 16 on our sphere here. So 16, if we reduce it, becomes 1 plus 6. We're going to add the numbers of the original number together. So, that Mike, playing devil's advocate, why would you want and have a... a, a the number reduced to a single digit as opposed to having the whole number? Well, that's a, that's a question for my guest. I think I'll have to ask my guest that. Um, Marco, did you hear that question? Yes, I did. <laughs> because what we do is because it, we're looking for number patterns. Mm, okay. And the thing is, is that the binary code has never been diagnosed as having any underpinning pattern oh, to right, it. Right, right. All right, so that so this is what we're trying to do is we're trying to find this pattern, and we're gonna and we're gonna show them really quickly that it that it that it jumps out at us. Okay. So uh, eight doubled is sixteen. Sixteen reduced to its root is one plus six, which is seven. So we draw a line now to our seven. Russell Blake refers to that as a digital root. A digital. Sometimes root. it's called also a digital parity. Sometimes it's called 
cross addition. Sometimes it's called horizontal math. But how I learned it in elementary school, uh, it was a quick check for arithmetic. It was called casting out nines. Hmm. You call it something else, too, a discrete number, I think you call it. <laughs> yeah, right? it, it is a discrete number, one through nine. One through nine. Because that's the decimal system. The decimal system has only nine conditions in it because the modular nine, the base ten system is modular nine because the number of any base is always one number less than the base because zero is not a number. It's a whole or a, an absence. An absence of anything. Zero means nothing, basically. Correct. Whereas the unique thing is that nine times anything or nine never changes. It's always itself. It's complete, total, whole. Any multiple of nine is always nine. Nine, eighteen, reduced. 1 plus 8 equals 9, 27, 2 plus 7 is 9, 36, 45, 54, 63, 72, 81. 9 is never changing. Let's clarify it again for people with that. 9 times any multiple of the number 9 will reduce down to 9 again. So That's nine why it's the zenith at the top of the circle. It's the axis. 9 represents the axis. And the axis is the secret of, as Jimi Hendrix says, everything. Huh, yeah, Hendrix had, you know, he wrote that amazing song, If Six Were Nine. Right. And he knew something was going Access on. Access bold as well. <laughs> Amazing. All right, so all right, so let's continue. So we have 16. Now 16 doubled is 32. Mm-hmm. If we reduce that, we take 3 plus 2, that equals 5. So now we go uh, from down to the 5 position. Now the next thing we do... So you 30... drew a number from the 7, a straight line from the 7 to the 5. Right. So, so far we've gone, we've gone from the 1 to the 2 to the 4 to the 8, to the 7, and to the 5. Correct. And now the last thing we're going to do is we're going to take 64, and 60, or I'm sorry, we're going to take 32, and 32 doubled is 64, and 64 reduces down to 6 plus 4, which is 10. 10, again, reduces down to 1 plus 0, which takes us back to the 1. So that's our initial spot, right? So the sequence goes 1, 2, 4, 8, 7, 5, and then back to one, and the and the notion is that this repeats forever. Correct. It it turns out that sixty four is one complete cycle of infinity. In other words, it isn't because eight times eight is sixty four. It isn't because the Maya, everything ends at sixty four with the Mayan calendar in two thousand and twelve. Mm. It's because sixty four is the first. It's like passing go on Monopoly. It's, it is a bounded infinity. It's not infinity of direction. They think the binary code is a geometric progression. Mm-hmm. Forgive me, but they call it a combinatorial explosion because they, they don't even have computers that can do a septrillion today um, and calculate it um, like two to like the 40th as, as far as being able to. They, can, they, they do it as a linear progression. Okay. I shouldn't say they don't, but how they do it is, is that they're unable... To, um, it becomes an unwieldy large number. Whereas what I discovered is, is that the decimal system, like the universe, is a closed torus. It's a donut. Mm. And I discovered that. So when you go 64 doubled, what does it become? 128. Which equals what? 1 plus 2 plus 8, which equals 11. Correct. Which equals 1 plus 1, which equals 2. So you just went from 1 to 2 again. You repeated you the go. cycle. Okay, and so then what's 128 doubled? Right. Now we have 256. 2 plus 5 is 7. Plus 6 is 13. Uh, 1 plus 3 is 4. So we're back, right back on track. 2 to 4. So what comes after 4? Or 256 doubled? Uh, what's that? 512. So that's 8. 
Then we have uh, 1,024, which is 7, et cetera, et cetera, and it just goes on and on. 1,048 is 14 is 5. Right. Never bri- so it turns out that the binary code follows a path. Mm. This path is called, there is a scientific term for it. It's called the longest mean-free pathway of least resistance. I'll say it again. The longest mean-free pathway of least resistance. Okay. They look for that in producing energy. And that's the geometry that when I make my coils is why I get so much energy because I found the way things move, anything moves, doesn't matter what you use. It can be any continuous medium. It can be electricity. It can be water. It can be uh, the atmosphere. We have, I'll give you an example. You see the, the vortex action everywhere. And you, right there you're looking at the binary code making a vortex. But I'll give you examples. Uh, universe spirals, galaxy spiral in diskettes with the spiral arms of galaxies. Hmm. You have in the atmosphere, you have tornadoes. Look sure. at the um, Katrina with its huge, gigantic spiral arms. Uh, hey, um, M- and that's Marco. made out of atmosphere. Marco, let me ask you a question. You know, we're, we're, we haven't talked too much about the Taurus. Uh, that, that's, what, that's what becomes implied from, the, from this mathematics. But um, mm-hmm. the, the root of that, we have... You mentioned the body earlier, and I think we need to go back there because that's where we sort of all begin. And we have this thing we call the torso. And, and in fact, if you, if, if you even mix up the letters a little bit, you can get Taurus out of torso almost. But um, I, I hate to say it, but you, you pulled my favorite comment. That's what I would have said. That's wow. right. The human torso is based on the root word toroid hmm. or Taurus, T-R-U-S. And tornado, obviously, too. There you go. Or electrical torsion. So mm, what I've discovered I is I have yeah. found the mathematical pathway for all of that terms, or toroidal, it's called toroidal pinch. Hmm. Now, the audience, nobody, unless you work in fusion, is going to know what I'm talking about when I say toroidal pinch. It's spelled T-O-R-O-I-D-A-L, pinch, P-I-N-C-H. I know how to make the perfect nozzle, the perfect toroidal aperture, or primal point of unity. That's my favorite term. Hmm. What do you mean? Um, try, try, try to put that into language that we can understand, primal point of unity. Is Essentially, it's the ID. Source? It's the inner diameter of the torus. It's like a camera shutter. It's like an eye. And this is the source of energy. It is. There is an emanation that comes from the inner diameter of the toroid that causes the, everything to move in the toroid to warp and process and curve to move back into the torus. Hmm. In other words, a black hole is being driven. It isn't. It is an incredible mechanical apparatus and you using these toroidal coils there's pictures of of my coil in my pdf on my um, website yeah, yeah. under the rodent solution executive summary and there's a pdf that can be downloaded yeah it's like 60 pages long and it's really uh, uh in-depth and, and detailed so i would and you encourage can see people that to look the at pictures that. was done by jean louise Naden of jln labs and he energized my coil and he took pictures that everybody said it was doing the impossible because it was making such a strong magnetic spiral inductance arms. <laughs> and what's causing everything to spiral is this linear non-bending emanation that emanates from the center that no one's been able to observe except with this mathematics or tap into, except, again, using this geometry. All right. Now, and, and, and before, there, there are a couple other things I want to ask you about because we, we touched on it earlier with regard to this. There, there's been an ongoing question, and one of the major questions that's been unanswered in physics has been the question of spin and how is it maintained? I mean, right. this, the, the idea that, 
um, that space is a vacuum is really a nebulous one. We know that space really isn't a vacuum, and we know that the space uh, around an atom isn't a vacuum either. So there's at, at least a certain amount of resistance there. So why do electrons continue uh, to spin and don't just, you know, don't just run down, for example? Is this the answer to that, Marco? In other words, is this where that energy is derived from that keeps them going? Uh, I'll take it one step further. If you were to take this energy away, the universe would instantly become destitute and void. So it, it is. I mean, so, so in other words, the metaphor of God it, is a real You could real call one. it literally the, the light of the face of God. You could call it dark matter. You could call it spirit. You can call it a monopole. Hmm. But the trick is, is that I figured out how to create a way to observe it. I call it, and it's a, a play on words, I call it a mathematical interferometry or a mathematical... Diffraction grading. Can I go in a, um, a, a direction for a second? Yeah, please. There's a thing that um, I know we're speaking, and maybe uh, hopefully a few college students are listening um, while they're maybe doing their homework or something. Um, oh, I'm sure they are. Just yeah. Everybody takes for granted the Heisenberg uncertainty principle. Heisenberg uncertainty principle is not all conclusive as everybody thinks. Well, and let's and let's clarify that real fast. The Heisenberg uncertainty principle basically said that you never really know where an electron is until you, you look know, at it. If you know that's right. Because if you know the present position then you've affected it and you've defe- deflected it from its future position so right. you can't know any two positions simultaneously. Okay. I totally obsolete that. The basis of the Heisenberg uncertainty principle was that it was invasive, what you were observing it was, be it light in the electron microscope, and ah, it, it yes, would, and you it had would jump a valence ring because the electron absorbed that light. Right, right. You, had to, you, you actually had an effect on the experiment that you were observing. The reason is, is because the mathematics used today, they didn't believe it was possible to predict absolutely anything because the math today is made on a man-made contrivance, whereas the math that I use is based on absolutes, is based on fixed constants, which do exist in the universe. So instead of using conventional mathematics, I've, in, I've found literally, we've always said that mathematics is the language of God. I literally, literally found the, the mathematical relationship where in this Taurus that I do, I piece numbers together in such a mosaic, such a jigsaw puzzle, puzzle that there is not one mathematical function or calculus known to man that isn't encompassed in this model. If nothing is omitted and there is no redundancy. If there was, the whole thing would be obsolete. That's why Russell Blake says that I have perfect mathematical coherence and regularity, that I have a perfect model on the 3D, and that's why he says then, of course, I'm able to go higher dimensional, 4D and up, and see the interior and volume of a torus. There's no mathematics today that is able to go on the z-axis like this, this right. mathematics right. can. And, and by the z-axis, you mean by going internally inside that torus? Correct. Right. Whew. Okay. Because I discovered that numbers are real. Right. In other words... And well, nature is expressing herself with numbers. Nobody ever would have, in their wildest fantasy, ever attributed anything to numbers themselves. Yeah, and, and let, let's talk about that a little bit, about numbers as things. In other words, you know, we have... And, and and you can talk about language a little bit and how that's involved in it. But what do you mean when you say numbers are real things that have a life of their own? I discovered, and, and this is a little wordy if I haven't already been extremely wordy, that numbers are stationary vector interstices, that they're nodes. 
I found that the z-axis creates all numbers. Um, using the toroid map and mapping over the skin, we can take any number and we can map what I call harmonic cascadus. We're actually, actually able to show all the properties of physics as they occur over this torus map, such as communicated agitation, waves. In other words, numbers were not fragments, um, disjointed, isolated from one another. Numbers weren't separate. I was able to take numbers, piece them together, and to a puzzle like a mosaic, and they make the entire picture of the, the panorama of the entire universe. That Because everything's based on the same model, from ad infinitum to micro. Um, and again, it's, it's, these, it's, it's the six-number progression, one, two, four, eight, seven, five, that literally everything else unfolds from that. There's actually, there's one other pattern. There's actually ah, two. Yes. Uh, it's a little tricky to explain. There's the binary code 124875 that's polarized, so it has polarity. There's two. One goes in the opposite direction of the other. And then the other numerical pattern, which is very profound, which is probably the most significant, which is the 396693. All right, and I think that that is one that we will tackle uh, in just a couple minutes at the top of the hour, okay? So let's do that. Okay, Marco, we'll take a little break here, and we'll come back, and we will talk about uh, this. Can I, can I throw a quick boomerang? Sure. You're always so accommodating, and I, I couldn't have a better host. I appreciate it. Ah, no, I mean, that's the, the, the idea here is for you to have an open forum where you can lay this out as well as you can do in the time that we've got for you, because I know it's not always that easy, and I'm just trying to, just trying to accommodate you. So. Well, you know, I like being pulled out on, on the carpet. And you did the doubling, 1248-1632, which is 1248-165. I just want to point out the perfection of it, that if you go backwards, a half of one is 0.5, a half of 0.5 is 0.25, 2 plus 5 is 7. Hmm. Half of 0.25 is 1.125, which equals 8. Half of that is 0.0625, which is 13, equals 4. Half of that is 0.03125, which equals 11, which equals 2. In other words, it makes the same pattern, no matter what. And as long as we're on that track, the powers of ten have nothing to do with ten fingers. They come from halving. We don't have ten fingers because our thumbs are opposals. Each hand's a mirror. You can, they're, they're, they have parity, bilateral symmetry. As you half is where the powers of ten come from. Five, half of one is five tenths. Half of point twenty-five is twenty-five hundredths. Half of, and that's your seven. When you go to eight, half of point twenty-five is point one twenty-five, which is eight, and that's one hundred twenty-five thousandths. Right. Half of point oh six, point one twenty-five is point oh six two five, which is a, um, 625 ten thousandths. Right, okay. So, so, Every I, time you have to increase to zero. Right, so the point is up and down the scale, either way you get the same phenomenon. And yeah. using this system, which I've just very um, loosely uh, laid out the foundation of together with you, I can create a 3D hologram operating system that obsoletes Microsoft, that obsoletes the NTXP operating system, I figured out that the binary code is not a flat 2D code, but is literally a hologram, and that's what the toroid is. It's the ultimate hologram. All right, let's um, take a breather, and we'll come back, and I want you to dig more into that because uh, I'm not clear. <laughs> 
But uh, my pleasure. That's all right. We got time to talk about it. Marco Roden, I love it. All right, uh, this is Mike. You're listening to Radio Orbit. My guest is Marco Roden. As I've said a couple times, get on the web, go over to his website. It will be very helpful if you can take a look at some of the imagery here. Uh, but it's not that complicated. It's, uh, it, I mean, the biggest number we're talking about here is nine, and we're going to come back and we're going to talk about three, six, and nine, and the significance of those three numbers uh, on top of this. Uh, uh, one two four eight seven five sequence that we've been talking about so far. Okay, all right, and uh, I love it. It's very interesting, and the implications of it are are profound. So stick around. We'll talk more about it with Marco Roden in just a minute. This is Mike. You're listening to Radio Orbit, and we will listen to another song here from. Uh, well, let's mix it up a little bit here. Some Peruvian music from the Amazon. This is. Jeff and William, the guys from Yachai. If you like this music, the entire CD is available for download on my website. And uh, the guys would love it if you would have it. And I'd like it too. All right, this is called Mama. And it's from Yachai Music. Check it out.
Yeah. That's Yachai. You can find out more about them at yachaimusic.com. All right, and you can find out more about this program at mikehagan.com, and you're listening to Radio Orbit. It's KOPN Columbia, 89.5 FM, and we're also streaming live tonight uh, thanks to cosmicwavesradio.com. And if you want to hear us on the web, you can do that, uh, this program, every Monday night at uh, www.cosmicwavesradio.com. All right, my guest uh, tonight is Marco Roden. Information about Marco can be found uh, directly through my site at MikeHagan.com or also at his own place at uh, Marco, I'm sorry, at uh, RodenMath, R-O-D-I-N-M-A-T-H.com and also RodenAerodynamics.org. All right, we have uh, had an hour with Marco and we've talked about a lot of things, uh, including uh, a number sequence Six root numbers that uh, we've learned that make up a binary code and that what we're learning actually, I guess, Marco, is that the binary code, which we thought was infinite, is not infinite. It's actually a closed cycle. It's a loop. And six numbers, six root numbers, basically make up that uh, that loop. Is that correct? Um, there's a saying that... Einstein supposedly said that if you look out in the universe far enough, you see the back of your head. That's right. Because everything curves, everything warps, everything eventually will invert when it gets to the center. And even the binary code is, um, it's, which is considered infinite. The definition of infinity by myself is not infinity of direction, but an infinity of duration. Mm. It's a, the binary code and infinity are the same, and it's an infinity of a spin continuum. Um, it um, it actually is a closed circuit and that again, never breaks. Right, and this is the nature of a torus. This is the nature of a toroidal geometry. Which is the same shape for the universe, for our planet. It's how, the, it's how galaxies, it's how everything purifies, renews, and cleans itself. Yeah, and magnetic fields and all this. Even even the magnetic fields that exist exist around human bodies and other life forms. There you go. Right. Okay. So um, the, the the classic human aura is in the shape again of a donut. Of a torus. Yeah. 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 Okay. So we also know that you've actually made some real world samples of a coil that was based on specifications uh, that were sort of defined by the geometry. Uh, that came out of the sequence, and, and we know that those coils were tested by people at Hewlett Packard. That uh, the output was 50% greater than would have been 60%. expected. 60%. HP Materials Testing Division um, in Colorado gave me certified results. We sent them um, a rodent coil and a, a control standard coil, and they confirmed that using the same form with the same amount of copper, that the rodent coil got 60% greater output. Amazing. Okay, so uh, we have this on top of uh, uh, endorsements from uh, people like Russell Blake, etc. There are others for sure. And um, all right, so we're going to go from there. Uh, we talked about this circle. Um, May I say something? Sure, please. The first half of my life, um, even to my own family, um, who loves me very much, um, the standard saying is, is you know. No one's going to discover anything new. <laughs> certainly not you. Right. Um, I've certainly been blessed that I could get my work evaluated by such um, impeccable 
people. And certainly surprises me that they were so kind as to even put their own professional reputation and name on the line to endorse my work. Yeah, I mean, half the time it's impossible just to get someone to spend the time to look at it, you know? Um, I've been very lucky. I've never had a problem. Um, the doors have been open to me. Um, when, you, when you go to the people at the highest echelon, they're very sincere to admit the limitations of their own uh, Western capabilities of, of understanding and knowledge. Mm -hmm. And the, in their heart, everybody wants to see the, um, the breakthroughs come forward, and, and they know it's going to take something uh, outrageous and from out of right field. Mm -hmm. So I've been, you know, but I, I have the guts, you know, I'll chase down the top people. So I've been very lucky. I used, to, I used to bring, I used to barnstorm the, the dean of the departments at the university and stuff like that. Well, I love it because uh, you're also a guy who comes from a non-conventional background as far as education goes. And uh, uh, but again, in situations like yours, the proof is in the pudding, and and uh, there's not not much they can say when you lay down the mathematics and let these guys look at it. So, all right. So there's another um, there's another sequence that's. Uh, as important or more important, Marco, and this is um, the three nine six uh, six nine three series. Let's talk about that a little bit and try to get as clear as we can on that, and then we'll talk a little bit more about implications and 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 real world applications of this stuff. All right? Mm -hmm. The thing is, is you don't shy away from trying to uh, attempting to lead your audience into these more esoteric complex things and, and I, I commend you for your courage um, the discovery in essence is this simple um, everybody thinks that the base 10 system is made of nine numbers and that they're all the same system it turns out that what I discovered is is that three nine and six are not a part of the one two four eight seven five they're on two separate dimensions they're two separate systems woven around each other helically I mean look at us everything in the world that we see physically externally is a coil why wouldn't even our numbers, if they had any connection to reality, they would also be, the be a coil? Right, and, and, and uh, let me add something here, Marco. Again, when I was describing this circle and we were talking about tracing these lines from point to point, mm -hmm. if people uh, were observant or listening, they will recognize that we said 1, 2, 4, 8, 7, 5, and then back to 1. Well, there are nine, yeah, there are nine numbers on the outside of this circle, and we never touch three, we never touch six, and we never touch nine. And so we're going to touch those now. Well, um, the numbers three and six also end in the middle of nowhere on that circle. Three ends on three and six ends on six. It looks like a pyramid or, or a triangle that doesn't connect on the base. What do you mean, if we do what to those numbers? Well, if you look at them, when you did 1, 2, 4, 8, 7, 5, right. 3 and 6 never connected horizontally. They only connect on the 9. If we use the same doubling law, is that what you're talking about? If you, on the symbol you drew, okay. when you went to 1, 2, 4, 8, 7, 5, right. 3 connected with 9 and 6 connected with 9. Yes. Um, but they never connected at the bottom. Ah, yeah, yeah. It's, 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 yeah, it's just, an, it's just a, a point looking upward with, with, with no base connecting because the six and the three. And only nine lines up over the center of infinity at the, where the um, infinity overlaps and crosses over mm -hmm. on the axis. Yes, yeah. turns out that the yin and yang 
is three and six. Everybody thinks that, everybody thinks that the Chinese symbol, the yin and yang, represents um, duality. Mm. It doesn't. The, the minimum members of a set are three. The minimum numbers of any set. Of any set. With the, even the binary code is not based on a duality. It's just that has been everybody's mistake. I'm able to polarize the binary code. But before I go there, let's stick with the, the optical illusion of the yin and yang being a duality. Okay, let's talk about that for a minute. Okay. And for people, again, the yin and yang, we're talking about this ancient Chinese symbol. It basically looks like a little white fish wrapped around a black fish, and uh, they uh, have a little S-shaped curve that separates the two sides of a circle. So. Classically associated with martial arts yes. or surfing. Yeah, 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 no doubt. <laughs> um, the three is the yin, the six is the yang. The de definition of the yin and yang um, is that they must always equal only one or the other, that they must oscillate in a dance back and forth. So let me, let me ask you a question, though. The, it seems like a rather arbitrary uh, selection of numbers. In other words, three for the yin, six for the yang. Why couldn't we just choose, uh, you know, two and five or... Well, I'll even take it further. I'm going to, um, when, since we've done doubling and we've done halving, and I, I'm defining, we've def I define the qualities of nine and zero. I'm going to define what I call fundamental physical property characteristics of all numbers. I'll go one through eight, but right now I'm going to stick with the three and six. Okay. Because there's no other number than three and six if you double or half it to answer your question, will equal the opposite other member. Ah, okay, so 3 times 2 is 6, 6 times 2 is 12, but 12 again reduces 1 plus 2 equals 3. Mm -hmm. 24 is 6, 48 is 12 is 3. Uh-huh, okay, uh, that answers it. I got you, I got you. These are, these are axioms that can never be um, broken. Yeah, it's a mathematical law. Right. Yeah, okay. So... The three and six are yin and yang, but they only, they never touch each other. They only connect with the number nine, the axis. The number nine is the S curve in the yin and yang, in the center. And this is where the trinary idea comes in as, as opposed to a binary one, because that's the third element. It's the source and control. Huh. It makes, nine, it's also referred to as a world boundary condition, which is relevant to uh, cosmology and astrophysics, which is what, this is all modeling, which is vortices. So, the oh, nine, right. Whenever 9 is positive, that's the beauty of this math, is because I can determine motion. And positive and negative in this system is not based on the classic Cartesian coordinate system, which is erroneous, with positive at the top, negative at the bottom, or right, left, etc. But it's based on positive as a positive emanation coming from the center outwards, creating what is called negative draft counter space, or negative, which is going in towards the center. Because what I'm modeling, I call it the dandelion puff principle. It's a wild statement, but I don't mind putting myself way out there. Dandelion puff principle, because I'm modeling like, a, like fireworks, an emanation coming from the center out that creates negative draft counter space in. It's again, we're talking about the primal source of every motion. So when nine's positive, three and six are both negative. And when nine's negative, three and six are both positive. It's the control. And again, it just bounces back and forth. The three and six are always um, opposite of one another. Um, three and six will always be one or the other. Um, let's go to the binary code and add polarity to that. 
Okay, in other words, so we're going to go back to our 124875 code. Right. Okay. Um, what do you mean by adding polarity to it? Well, I think at, before we took the brief pause, um, you asked me to come back and explain the hologram aspect right, of the, the binary code. Right, right, right. Okay. It turns out that when they use the binary code today, they do not add any polarity to it. Nothing's negative, nothing's positive. It's just a, it has no dimension. Right, it's just this ongoing... Linear flip-flop on-off. Right, right, right. Okay. What I'm able to do is I'm able to add polarity to the binary code, such as beginning with one, that'll be positive, two will be negative, four will be positive, and it never breaks the binary flip-flop rhythm. So um, eight will be negative, etc. So what happens is, is, is um, working with my colleagues, we were able to determine what we refer to as a binary triplet. Instead of it being binary, instead of it always being positive, negative, positive, negative, it breaks down that you always have, if it starts with a positive, you have a negative in the center and another positive. It will always be based with a third element in the center. So it'll be two positives with a negative in the center or two negatives with a positive in the center. We call hmm. it a binary triplet. Ah, uh, yeah, okay, all right. And, then, and, then whichever, and whichever the dominant one is, then that gives it the actual charge or whatever. So if you have two positives and a negative, that, that one has a positive charge. The, the one in the center is always the source of control. Right, okay, I'm with um, you. But the point being is, is then with polarity, we're able to look at it in the form of a toroid, 3D, with the higher dimensional flux field spaces as well in between them, which is the 396-693, we're able to create, create it as a dimensional object, as a ge- geometric solid, as a coil. And I'm able to, um, because while everything looks as if it's a duality, positive and negative, it isn't. It's an optical illusion. It, you always have the source of polarity is always in the center. You always have a cause. So I'm going to make a, a postulate here, put myself out there on the line. The classic saying is for every action, there's equal opposite reaction. Completely false. Hmm. For every action, you have two instantaneous opposite reactions. In other words, it's, um, it's like the binary tree ladder. What they do is you have one and then they're not counting in the source in the center, the control. Yeah, you know, and I, I sort of see it on a personal basis, too, where you have sort of both uh, positive and negative results coming from any action. You know, I mean, I mean, the physical things that you do, in other words, you know, if you're nice to somebody. Well. <laughs> you know, you can have good and bad things come from everything that you do. If uh, everything was a duality, you would have, um, you wouldn't have, you'd have, um, you'd have, uh, What's it called? Hemostasis. You wouldn't have motion. Ah, uh, yeah, homeostasis. But instead, have, yeah. instead, because everything's based on trinary, mm. it, that's it, why you everything have ratchets. Mm. Everything only has a one-way positive systemic flow, which is forward. Everything is, um, you know, forced to move forward. Right, right. And this this work explains why. Okay, so let's talk a little bit more about the geometry that all of this stuff implies. And, and we're gonna, I, I want to ask you about 
what I guess is a key, uh, one of the keys to this is this thing that we're calling, uh, or that you title, underlying nested vortices. Correct. So let's talk about this, because th- this becomes now, we're bringing it into the real world when we start to develop uh, technology around this stuff. These vortices uh, become a key to the whole thing. So why don't you talk a little bit about the coil and uh, what underlying nested vortices are. Okay. Um, with the, the, the toroid, with the rodent coil as a, as a um, coil to produce energy, in between the, du- the two doubling circuits, because it's a bifilier, it's a, it's a double uh, wound coil. And again, I want to clarify the two doubling circuits that Marco is talking about are these two sequences. The first doubling circuit is 1248751, and the other one is the polarized. The same sequence, but in reverse opposite, opposite polarity as well. Right, okay, all right, go on. Um, without trying to explain it, uh, one point to clarify without explaining it too deeply. Everybody missed that in the binary code, it makes an undulating and reverse direction binary doubling code. This is, that's why this work is complete. Um, but I, I won't try and explain it, but it's very beautiful when you see how things, as it creates motion in one direction, the opposite direction also has literally a mirror motion. <laughs> but anyway, that's why this pattern See, the, when I first discovered this symbol, which we refer to as the mathematical fingerprint of God, I knew I was into something profound because the right and left was a perfect mirror. It was exhibiting bilateral symmetry. Which just, is like the hum, just like the human hand. That's right. Amazing. Based on an axis. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Just like our eyes line up horizontal, horizontally. Oh, yeah. Everything is based on, in our world of physical creation on, on polarization, horizontal polarization. Sometimes we can see it in the stratification of things, or that even the universe is said to be a, a disc, uh, our galaxy is said to be a sheet. Right, right. So I knew instantly I was looking at an energy that, on this symbol, although it was invisible, that was creating this mirroring, because you don't have parity by accident. You don't have mirror symmetry by accident. Um, and forgive me, you've asked me to discuss the geometry of the manufacture of the coil, but before I do, since you did bring up the topic of the mathematics, and since we're now on the topic of mirroring, I want to complete one other aspect of mathematics. Yeah, no problem. Multiplication series are all mirrors. On that symbol, the 1 and 8 are the same geometric shape and the same distance from 9. To, to point out the, the mirror property of numbers, multiples of 1 ascend units of 1. It's the distance from 9 of 1. The mirror of that would be the multiples of 8, which is, again, the opposite direction, 1 from 9. Hmm. And multiples of 8, if it's a mirror of the number 1, must descend units of 1. So 1, 8 equals 8. 2 times 8 equals 16, which equals 7. Right. 8 minus 1 is 7. 7 minus 1 is going to be 6. And, of course, 3 times 8 is 24 is 6. 4 times 8 is 32 equals 5. 8 times 5 is 40 is 4. <laughs> 48 is 12 is 3. 56 is 11 is 2. 64 is 10 is 1. 72 is 9. It's just descended 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 9. Right. One, one digit at a time. One digit at a time. Mm-hmm. There is an inherent phasing, okay, or a harmonic perfection mirroring between 1 and 8. Now, what if we went between... Uh, 2 and 7. Yeah, 2 and 7. Wow. Same, th- same thing, huh? 2, 4, 6, 8, 1, 3, 5, 7, 9. 
Okay. I got that from 10, 12, 14, 16, 18. 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12, 14, 16, 18 is 2, 4, 6, 8, 1, 3, 5, 7, 9. The last number before 9 was 7. The opposite mirror of 2 is 7. I call them polar number mates because they equal 9. Whatever equals 9 is going to be a mirror. Ah, it'll be on the opposite side of the image. Exactly. Yeah. Right, right, okay. Of the axis. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which is, this is the secret of the axis. And multiples of 7. 7, 14, 21, 28, which is 7, 5, 3, 1. Then 35 is 8. It's just going to be 7, 5, 3, 1, 8, 6, 4, 2, 9. Right. Ending multiples of two. Yeah, it's amazing. So this jigsaw puzzle, this mosaic of phasing and harmonics, no one ever assembled the, the, all the numbers together. And the torus on my website has different axes. Every axis, X, Y, and Z, is a different multiplication series intersecting. The reason Russell Blake said that I had... The most advanced, he said, I had six different axes intersecting any one number at any given instance. Right. Is because I discovered that all multiplication series are literally the underpinning geometry of the universe. That they literally are making, uh, um, uh, that using multiplication series, you can see the invisible z-axis of spirit that creates the universe in the form of a donut. Amazing. So I just wanted to. Thank you for allowing me. Of course, four and five would have been mirrors, too. But this is all a, a language. It is all a relationship that nobody ever took to the ad infinitum, you know, effort that I was able to put into it to get it to understand what the final geometric shape was. Because that mathematical fingerprint of God is nothing more than a legend. It's like in the most amount of information in the universe encrypted into the smallest amount of space. You know, um, Marco, there's something else. There's a word uh, that's called, I think you call it Enneagram or Enneagram, E-N-N-E-A-G-R-A-M. Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously this has to do with the number nine. But there's there's also in, uh, you know, some mystical traditions, this idea of uh, nine entities or beings or something that, that, that go by the name of the Ennead. And I've had an opportunity in the past to, to, to research that a little bit, and it makes a whole lot more sense to me now. I mean, it's it's more simple than than anything, quite honestly. I mean, everything unfolds from those nine numbers. Um, I once um, did a work, and it's not well explained, but it is up on my website, um, I take the numbers off the torus counter-diagonal to the doubling circuits, uh-huh. um, which make a repeating pattern. I can't remember it off the top of my head, um, but it's nine, I think two and seven are on the right and left of it. Um, and you put those in a circle, and you connect the one, the two, to the four, to the eight, mm-hmm. and you make the integram. Huh. And so, so there are just... Uh, They're all the same, ev- but different perspectives. And every pattern that you can imagine. And different involutions of one another. But everything converges and and takes on different perspectives or different relationships of a toroid. Amazing. All right. So um, I think we'll not take a break. Let's just keep going. And uh, let's talk about, uh, okay, back to the, uh, the coil itself.
and the geometry and this idea of vortices and uh, what do we call them? Underlying underpinning nested vortices. Underpinning nested vortices. And, and how does that pan out in the real world, and why is that so important? Everything is controlled in biology, in, in um, all um, engineering and, me and mechanics by underpinning nested vortices. Uh, when I was a kid, we grew up, we played golf, and the, all the golf balls were solid. I don't, a lot of people may not remember that. But there was no dimples hmm. based on tetrahedrons in different shapes. <laughs> Okay, yeah. and then somebody discovered that the the lift and flight properties of a golf ball were affected by the dimples. Mm -hmm. The dimples are a, are not well understood today as it applies to biology or to anything else. Um, I know there was I think there were the Willis brothers. They made surfboards in the North Shore here in Hawaii. Mm -hmm. um, they called them phaser surfboards because they would put dimples on the bottom of them. Mm -hmm. But they're, they lost, they're, they're considered, by, not most surfers like them because they're way too fast. <laughs> they may, they don't, they're not able to grip and feel the wave. They make the wave very slippery. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Um, I discovered with electricity that it is necessary for it, it creates in relationship to the magnetism the same type of underpinning nested vortices. And using this mathematics, I discovered that for a toroid coil, to respirate its heat, to maintain its temperature, um, to work, um, to, to maintain its existence, that it creates underpinning nested vortices. Okay. And by the world boundary condition, by them being staggered, it creates that everything is focused at the center of the coil. Uh, one engineer refers to it as it literally it rings. And so the and and, and again the mathematics. Uh, and the the grid, well, there's an overlying grid that you can lay out over the torus that, that this defines how you wrap the coil in order to to allow these underpinning nested vortices to occur. And when you energize the coil, when you wind it based on one, two windings going in opposite directions when it's energized uh -huh. uh, along the doubling circuits, um, I, I state that ideally... It even has what is called a changing aspect ratio. What does that mean? Well, to, when you wind a, a toroid coil, you have big spaces at the outside, at the outer diameter, at the equator. And as you get towards the inside of the coil, you have um, everything bunched up. And what I, the type of coil that I make, I actually take into account that electricity, that everything expands and contracts. Um, it's based on the, um, condensed matter physics the inverse square law, that as you get closer to the axis, everything compresses, and as you get farther away from the axis, everything expands. Uh -huh. So that property actually occurs in electricity, and that's what they don't weigh in today when they make coils, and that's why we have so much reluctance and friction. Right, and we lose so much as heat or whatever. I, what I did is I was able to figure out how coils, how electricity, where it's going to be, past, present, and future, the way that it wants to move naturally, without forcing it. Again, that's called the longest mean free pathway of least resistance. Right. Okay, so... So, so I uh, claim to make on a macro structure, on a, on a very... Uh, on, on a large scale, a coil that has super efficiency without having to use superconductors. Mm-hmm. Because this stuff defines the best way for electrons to move, too. 
That's right. Right. In other words, it's no different than any, than it defines the best. Micro way. to macro, macro to micro, it works. Right. If and you take the numbers over the toroid skin and you group them together, like every seventh number, it makes the doubling circuits all over again. Mm-hmm. The harmonics of the toroid skin is so perfect. If you take any number in the center and you add the numbers around it, it always equals the number in the center because it makes waves of nine. Um, it's modeling. Um, it's modeling how everything is is passing vibration. Everything is working coherently with one another. So, um, with DNA. I was astounded when I initially did the work to discover that the underpinning nested vortices are not askew. They're not staggered. When I was working with uh, the double spiral helix, I was quite surprised to find that the boundaries, the world boundary conditions, align up perfectly so that they create opposing vortices. Um, So nature uses the mechanism of these underpinning nested vortices um, completely different than it would be, so to speak, on a toroidal coil level. Everything, the the nested vortices have unique applications depending on what the purposes are, whether it's to keep together and and maintain a composed shape like the toroid or instead to unravel Hmm. or duplicate like in the helix. And I found that information duplication occurs when the world boundary conditions in DNA are complete when the world boundary conditions line up and are mirrored. All right. It's a big... It's outrageous. I mean, because, uh, well, and I think what we need to do now is talk more about applications. And, I mean, what do you see... What do you see being done with it? Let's just start talking about things that you see being done with this uh, this technology... Let's start with energy, man. This is well, I the want one. to start with medicine. Okay, let's start with biology and medicine. And those are the two, medicine and energy. I mean, those are the things that are causing us uh, the greatest amount of grief right now on this planet. So. Okay. The reason I started with medicine is because, um, because everything's a two-sided sword. This discovery can go in different directions. So I, I'd like to always address the most um, worthwhile purpose, but I agree energy is a, a problem. Well, I'm, I'm with you, though. Health is, uh, you know, and being able to cure disease is something I've been very interested in. You and I talked off the air earlier today, and we, we were speaking of Royal Raymond Rife, who is a hero of mine, mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and someone whose work I'd love to see. Um, uh, Rife machines, um, radionic. Device. Yeah, and I, and, I, and I just love to see him uh, validified, you know, and, and, and it doesn't mean through his work being revived, but through someone else showing, you know, that, that, that these things are possible, and I think that that's a, a potential here with your work, so. Um, just, I'd like to mention that he also was a Baha'i, a member of the Baha'i faith like me, and he had a Baha'i funeral. He lived in San Diego, which is also where I, I originally did most of my work. Oh, interesting. And just, I guess it's off the track of what we're talking I had a friend there who was a graphic designer, and he was friends of John Crane, Royal Rice um, lab assistant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who he passed on. Um, who I guess either way, he ended up with all of um, Rice uh, hardware and notes. And he went over to John Crane's house, and his whole house. I don't know if it, if what happened. I think he went and he was in the hospital and he was sick. But anyway, he showed me the pictures. His whole house was gutted out. Oh yeah, he took care of it. And um, he, he showed me, he gave me a copy 
I have a, a picture of a napkin that Royal Reich was scribbling his notes on mm-hmm. when he was in the restaurant, restaurant waiting for dinner, yeah. discussing using how he was able to use the Reich microscope, discussing how many atoms were, he could see inside the, the cancer cell. Yeah, amazing. And um, so I agree. I, there's been great scientists way before me, and that, you know, I, I, wouldn't, I don't even like being compared to. Um, well, I mean, it's it's good. I mean, I mean, no doubt. I mean, it's great to recognize that there are great people that have come before you, but it doesn't mean that you can't be great too. And so, uh, what you're doing builds on their work, and we can appreciate all of it, Marco. Well, the biggest problem is, is they took their work to the grave with them, and I feel that I'm easily following in their footsteps. Um, I'm trying to preserve my d- discovery. Um, that's why I'm talking with you tonight. It exposes me to some risk. I've never had any big threat, but I, I figure I'm certainly um, rocking the ship. My goal is, and I would be glad to come to Missouri if anybody had a, a huge facility that I could use for me and my staff. Right now I'm working out of my home, and I have my computer. I have state-of-the-art Dell computers, fortunately, with dual NVIDIA graphics cards, dual processors. But my, um, my macromedia uh um, director and Dreamweaver expert just quit because I couldn't afford to pay him. And we've been really cramped for space. He was working in my living room. So I, I've been trying to find a facility. I found one in Texas. It's about a quarter of a million dollars, but it's a huge 25,000-square-foot facility, and I'm trying to find the money to buy it. Anyway, the applications of my work, the first work is on DNA. Uh, this work shows the secret of cellular communication. And this With it, I believe you can end any disease, produce unlimited food, uh, the next application, let's hey, Marco, go to energy. Marco, and, and, and some of that work goes back, again, nearly 20 years. What about Jonas Salk? You told me to ask you about Jonas Salk, who I was a huge fan of. Um, Jonas Salk um, commented on my work, the, the paper I wrote, Quantum Mechanical State of DNA Sequencing, and said that uh, it was so advanced he didn't think it would be understood in my lifetime unless I cloned myself. <laughs> Um, There's another stunning endorsement from uh, from no, none other than Jonas Salk. Amazing. So, all right. So further on with applications. Okay. Um, fusion, mirror symmetry coils uh, for hot fusion. They try and create a magnetic bottle. Um, the thing is, is he who controls magnetism controls the universe. Hmm. I know the secret of magnetism. I know how it works. It's going to seem like I'm on a tangent, but I want to do right as best I can for you and, and the people who are listening. So well, first of all, we know that electricity and gravity and magnetism are all somehow related to one another. So does, so does the, mag, the magnetism thing wrap back into your code? I'm able the, the numbers 396, 693, um, the numbers 3 and 6 mm-hmm. actually determine pinpoint the location of where the magnetic moment is at any given instant. I'm actually able to, to determine and tap into the magnetism, more magnetism than anybody's ever created. As, born, as, as even John Louise Nodden on JLN Labs uses my coil as the, because I get so magnetic out, much magnetic flex, uh, field output, he refers to my coil as the proof of, again, this is a, a strong, most people won't know what I'm referring to, but it's the proof of the B-field torsion effect. 
of Axiom Fields. Um, I, I know the secret of how to harness magnetism for space flight. Right. I obsolete the combustion engine. Okay? I create the ultimate perfect nozzle using a toroidal engine. And I can navigate it using these underpinning nested vortices because I understand their phasing. So I can use it to control it, to steer it. Should I go on? Yeah, let's talk about this propulsion idea for a second because... And clarify a little bit for me that the idea of the of, of the nozzle and how you would be able to control the direction. I understand it's probably by by somehow controlling the vortices and which ones are active. Um, you have a letter there from Dennis Watts from NASA. Uh, he is the I'm not sure if he still is. He was in charge of communications for the International Space Station, mm-hmm. and he said that um, my discovery can turn mankind into intergalactic citizens. I know the secret of how to create a vertical lift flying vehicle that has no pitch or yaw, that cannot crash, does not require wings. Hmm. Um, Essentially, the toroid-based, if you look at any bar magnet, you always have two poles and you have a magnetic field compressing and decompressing at each pole. Um, it's always based on a two-stage surge pump of, of, of compression, decompression, implosion, explosion, black hole to white hole. Mm-hmm. Um, everything's a nozzle. The ultimate nozzle in space at the center of the, our Milky Way is a black hole. Um, pretty much uh, modern science um, nowadays, I'm, I'm certain they're not as ignorant as they were a few decades ago, recognizes that every black hole feeds at the other end a white hole. Um, every quasar, let's use an equator, an example, as a white hole. Quasars are known to go billions of light years through the solar system, correct? Mm-hmm. Shooting hot, gaseous, um, nebular uh, streams, billions of light years. Every quasar is fed on the other side. I mean, where does it come from? Where is this billions of light years of gaseous matter shooting out in a plume across space coming from? It's fed by a black hole on the other end. Okay? A black hole is a nozzle. Okay? Nothing ever reached. Whoever thinks a black hole is solid, a, a true dynamic black hole like in the center of our Milky Way is solid, is wrong. Nothing ever reaches the center of a black hole. All matter is deflected from the center. Hmm. Everything must have a hole in the center. That's where the missing zero is. The zero is always the nozzle in the center. Okay? And, and everything goes around the hole in the mm-hmm. center. It yeah. goes around the lip, just like a camera shutter. Mm-hmm. An aperture. Yeah. It's an aperture. Hmm. That's referred to, again, as the inner diameter, ID, short for inner di- di- diameter. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, I call it the primal point of unity, or it's sometimes called a singularity. Sometimes it's called a... Um, I don't know um, the vortex well. Right, but one of the th- but I think it's important to recognize again that this is something that that we see on a fractal scale. Though we see it uh, in a black hole on the big big time macro scale, but as you mentioned, the same thing is happening at the center of an atom. It's every the saying is is every atom is a miniature black hole, white hole. When you, when they talk about electron electron moment or electron tunneling. Mm-hmm. Um, 
everything when it reaches its maximum acceleration creates, creates the, um, the vortex well, the funnel, the black hole to white hole effect, be it a tornado, be it the Milky Way going through the black hole, be it a... Um, um, An electron spinning. Be it a, a bar magnet, be it magnetism and electrical coils. Mm. Um, and basically what we've been talking about all night is you figuring out how to tap into to that energy source. Conventional mathematics today cannot create the mathematics to go into a black hole. They, it only Conventional mathematics today disintegrate and right. break down at the event horizon. Right. They call, that's why they call it a singularity, because it basically means that they, they can't define it past that point. So, With this mathematics, not only can I go through the point of unity and come out the other side decompressing, <laughs> but I know the pathway and how things invert as they pass through the center. And so I, I replicate that on a, on a gross structure making coils, and it actually can, on the laboratory work workbench desktop, create the same effect. Amazing. Um, essentially, it's a man-made black hole, white hole. It's a man-made artificial singularity. Because I can, and I don't have to use cryogenics. I don't have to use correcting right. magnets. Right, I mean, it doesn't have to be absolute zero to, to get superconductivity. It's basically room temp or whatever. So here's, I want to go on a brief... That's outrageous, Marco. I want to go on a brief um, journey for one second. Um, this is what I said I wanted to kind of go on a, on a tangent before with. The purpose of magnetism to electricity is that it works as a heat sink. Today when we make supercomputers, we have to use refrigeration. It's right. more important and more expensive than anything else. Right, just keeping them cool, right. That's right. Everything's based at maintaining um, a fixed constant. Our bodies, if we go 110 degrees, we incinerate. Mm -hmm. We die. Okay? It's no different for a black hole in the middle of our, our solar system. If, if, if it was to, what it does is it bathes itself with our planet. Eventually, we're going to be sucked into a black hole. Our mountains are going to be pulled, crushing flat. The seas are going to boil off in their beds. And we're going to be spun around faster and faster with other planets and other stars that have given off all their heat until we reach the singularity, where literally squeezed out of matter is this emanation, whatever we want to call it, spirit or dark energy, that don't bend, that are linear, linear and they drive the process. They keep it going, mm -hmm. causing matter to curve and warp back in. And our, and our Earth shoots out the other side of a white hole as hot, gaseous, interstellar matter, eventually to amalgamate, cool down, form again new planets and new people, and it's an eternal or endless cycle. That's why we say our bodies are made out of stardust, because mm -hmm. we're made out of countless stars of the past. Amazing. you know. And it's to take heat away from the core, from the center. And that's what the black hole is doing. It's maintaining a fixed constant temperature of the solar system for itself. It, everything has to maintain a constant temperature. So when I make these coils, I figured out the relationship of this be it called spirit or flux or whatever you want to call it, to magnetism, to electricity. And I literally use the coil's own higher dimensional flux fields to dissipate energy, to, to dissipate heat, to maintain it. 
and I can go on and on and on. Wow, I love it. I mean, I love the fact that it that that you can go up and down the scale with it. That it you know that it's that it's uh, that it's self similar across all these scales. I mean, I think that it's it, it's just fascinating to me. That's why I want to do the. I, I didn't even you graph the the fact that it's micro to macro, macro to micro, but. Certainly tonight, I couldn't give the mathematical evidences of that by showing all the examples of the toroid skin mm-hmm. and showing how it relates to the... I want to create a, a classic uh, teaching curriculum for children on the elementary school level that explains that the multiplication table is not flat, huh. but that it actually is warped and forms a donut. Huh. And, then you can, and then you're able to do all these mathematical evidences and proofs to see how all numbers are in relationship to other numbers, that they're all connected, that no number ever comes individually. And, of course, it makes unity. Wow. I mean, it's, it, it's amazing work, Marco, and it's so cool. And, it, and it's also uh, super important when it comes to the implications of it. I mean... It, I'd obsolete Microsoft <laughs> as, a, as an operating system. I'd create, I'd perfect artificial intelligence because I have now, because it's a binary triplet, because there's, polarity is based on thirds, I'm able to add the third element to artificial intelligence. Um, I obsolete uh, crashes in airplanes because I'm harnessing the secret of the axis, which is, if you ever spin a top, it always goes upright the you faster know, it spins. Right, and, and I mean, the airplane itself then becomes obsolete with this technology. That's Anything, the thing. All combustion engines are obsolete. Right, I mean, every, every, everything changes, in other words. Basically, that's the, that, that's the nutshell, is that everything changes. I mean, the one thing that, you know, we don't, people don't take into account enough is synergies between these things and so what can people do we've got 10 minutes we've got we've got five minutes as a matter of fact so uh, certainly you need support you're looking for a facility Um, you're looking for uh, contacts you're looking for uh, I I lost my webmaster so and the problem is is I can't work with people from a distance I have literally thousands and thousands of photos and test results and pictures and 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 documentation of the things you're interested in, like micro to macro, Mm -hmm. I have to get this all up online. I've been doing it alone for for a long time, and I've now accepted that I'm not making enough progress. My day-to-day life, I'm still just barely able to come up from air, and I do all my work uh, just, you know, already at at the end of the day, and I'm just not getting enough done. And you're in Hawaii. Well, so I'm willing to move. I have a beautiful house on the beach. Um, like I said, there is a facility in Texas, but I'd go to Missouri. I'd go anywhere if I could uh, afford to buy. The Texas facility is a quarter of a million dollars. So what do you want to do with the facility? Do you want to build coils? or, uh, or what, is, what, what would be the idea of, of a facility? There's a lot of experts out there in your audience and worldwide that are, that are more experienced and are master engineers that could build these coils. Right. In other words, My you've, got, you've got the design specifications so the first thing is to preserve all the details of how it's made, how it's energized, and share that by putting it up on, on a website. Right. Um, but to do all of that, I need to have a staff, and I just cannot do things living and working out of my house. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I was trying to present and explain the work using Macromedia. The Macromedia suite is certainly an excellent suite. There's more advanced softwares like Maya or 3D Max, but really... What I'm trying to explain could easily...
director, macromedia director, macromedia flash. I'm just trying to preserve the work without getting too far difficult. I want to say something, Marco, about uh, about that, actually, because it's something that we talked about off the air, too, and I want to commend you, first of all, because I know that there are many people who want to get their hands on this and want contractual agreements, etc., that might put you in a difficult situation or whatever, and I'm sure there's money involved that would probably put you in a better situation. But I've you... been offered the moon. I've yeah. spoken with the Milken Institute. A lot of people want to use my work for um, financial market predictions. Mm. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't <laughs> figures. You know, that's what they see in it. Amazing. They're sincere. I, I I'm not angry at them. Um, they live a different existence. Right. I mean, right. I, I mix. I rub shoulders with them, and I listen to them talk about, oh, I lost a million here, let's do another million there. Um, very wealthy people. They don't really understand that I'm just trying to, to share something, and I, I didn't do it because I'm trying to um, create a monopoly and blackmail everybody with a new technology. Um, they all want me to get patents and get exclusivity. That's not my lifestyle. I'll be lucky if I'm alive 10 or 20 years from now. I may not even be living even anywhere near that. The last thing I want to do is try and create what, everyone, what classically always happens is to create a secret proprietizer. Mm. Um, so if any of the listeners uh, was willing to buy a facility for me or had one, the reason I like the one in Texas is it was 25,000 square feet and it had over 20, 30-plus offices and lived workspaces. So then I could have had a staff of computer programmers. Then, of course, we could be making prototypes. Um, of course, we'd have to be living there, too, me and my family. Um, and, again, I mean, and again, this is the reason why. In other words, the reason why you don't have a facility right now is not because the work doesn't uh, deserve it. It's because you haven't been willing to basically sign it away. I mean, and this is what is required in, in, in order to get, uh, the money to do these things in most, 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 most cases. That's right. I'm not. I'm not using the class. I, I believe in capitalism. I'm not going to slight the free enterprise market. I just part of the problem is, and I'm certainly contradicting it by talking publicly about it. Is I've been always very worried about being suppressed. I've never had it happen. Um, and but because of the, I understand how this gives an advantage to whoever is in possession of it. I've been I've been so precautious that I I haven't been able to get it out there. So I've realized now that I gotta literally bite the bullet and do whatever it takes uh, to hope to rush to as fast and as quickly as I can preserve it. Um, I, any one of us never knows what is around the corner in our future, a car accident or anything. And I certainly want to see that this work survives and that I don't take it to the grave like other great scientists have on their discoveries. So that's why I'm, I'm sharing it with you tonight. All right. Well, Marco, uh, we're going to have to call it at that. It's a great way to finish things up. We will certainly do this again. It is ongoing work, and we're going to stay really uh, close with you and in touch and try to share information and, uh, and contacts and all this stuff. And um, we'll come back on the air and talk Again, I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. It's amazing information. I admire your courage for for inviting my conversation on numbers because I know how easily I must lose everybody. Well, I mean, mathematics is a language all its own, and and uh, we have you know we have enough difficulty getting our point across uh, with English, 
and and mathematics isn't necessarily English. <laughs> so uh, so it's not always easy. But the point is, you've got some real world things uh, that 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 can be put on a table and shown to people. And I just wanted to give you know as, as much background as we could on where those ideas came from. But the bottom line is, we have real world technology that needs to be investigated uh, further and uh, obviously looked at and uh, implemented because uh, there are too many people that are looking at your work and are making amazing statements about it. So, um, as I said, I wish we had more time, but we'll do it again. And uh, I really appreciate your exposing me to the public. Well, you've, you, you, you're doing great work, and I commend Jeff Rents uh, for having you on his program a month or so ago, too, because some people heard uh, that and then sent me a note and said he was... Fantastic. We'd like to hear more. So, uh, so thanks to everybody who's involved in getting this information out, and that's what it takes, Marco. You know, collaboration and, and working together. So, we'll continue to try to do more of that. And uh, again, thank you so much. All right. Thank you. All right. We'll be in touch, everybody. That's Marco Roden, and uh, information about Marco can be found on his website at RodenMath R O D I N M A T H dot com. Also, from here on out, you'll be able to find information about Marco on my website, and. Um, uh, thanks to him for doing the work. And for people out there, check it out and uh, share it with others. That's what it takes, okay? This is Mike. You've been listening to Radio Orbit. We'll be back next week with uh, Dr. Alan Goldstein. We'll be talking about nanotechnology, biotechnology. There's my phone ringing. I wonder who that is. That's Casey, my friend. I'll have to talk to him in a moment. Anyway, we'll be back with Dr. Alan Goldstein, uh, and we'll talk about nano biotechnology, and lots of other things next week. Rihanna Eisler the week after that. Stick around. We've got some good music coming up for you, as always, on KOPN. We will finish things off here with the band that we started things off with last week. They're called ISM, and uh, this song is called Goodbye. <laughs>